break up. Now every day I wake up. Somebody got a problem with ho. With these columnists and that kind of thing. Like the they're all like they know that they were not as cool as like the people who became novelists from their writing school. Oh yeah, none of these guys knew that they would ever be like they weren't they weren't cool enough to become a uh you know, of William S. Burroughs or uh, they, they, know, were, they were getting they were getting wedgies like nonstop from Jonathan yeah. Franzen, <laughs> like nonstop getting bullied by Jonathan, having like <laughs> Nosgard give you purple nurples. I know <laughs> <laughs> you dropped drop with a stone cold stunner by Zadie Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David Brooks just having his, yeah. his fucking lunch eaten by Tom Wolf. <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like yeah, it's like at least Tom could like write an art, like he wrote a novel of interest. I know he wrote a few like yeah, it's like oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna be better at journalism than you too. (laughs) 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 Oh my god, it's so funny how like there is like a cottage industry, like even like Bill O'Reilly writing all of those like killing books that he writes. Oh yeah, they're all like Lincoln, yeah, super into that stuff. Like, they I want to write love like, that shit. Bad spy novels or bad, um, bad like history revision. Like I, I think doesn't it like uh, is it a uh, New Gingrich is the one who writes all those like he's not a journalist but he he he's like one of those nerds that kind of fashions himself as a pseudo historian. Well, politicians are yeah oh yeah it's boy confidence will get you. It just get you anywhere. Like, it's true. It really will. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, <laughs> The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick uh, Gremion, and yeah, just put all all Washington Post and New York Times opinion columnists, put them in just like a, like a, get, put them in a predator situation, that's what I'm saying, just have, have, have the famed predator <laughs> and whoever, send them to the Predator Island. Um... I don't know if you remember the tagline to Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> that would be the same deal. Eh? Predator versus the uh, opinion columnists. Yeah. <laughs> Predator's going to get bored to death. I know. It's like, oh, God, are they starting with another reference to Homer? <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Academy. <laughs> and this week, speaking of confident men, we are talking about one of the more confident men. That's right. Ridley Scott is back. This week on the show for another edition of Scott Scott. This episode is called Crimes, Global and Local. Mm. We'll be covering two films that this man somehow did back to back. Impressive. Um, <laughs> impressive. Are the results worth it? <laughs> you, you, we report. You decide. <laughs> yeah, we'll say. I'll just say like the the feat itself is the yeah is the content. I don't know. Well, I did mm-hmm. read um. That on the set of the second film we're going to discuss today, he started taking eight. He he would on hit day on lunch. He ate for eight minutes and eight minutes only, and then went straight to his trailer to go take a nap for the rest of the lunch break, in order to keep his energy up. Because at this point, he is um. Good golly, uh, he's closing in on seventy years old. <laughs> If not already there. Wow. <laughs> Man. During the point of these. These are not, these are, both of these are like gigantic movies. One of them yeah. is like particularly like massive, all things considered. Uh, we'll be talking today about 2007's 
American Gangster, and 2008's Body of Lies. Mm. Uh, American Gangster and Body of Lies can be rented through all of the services. Um, unfortunately, I believe we are releasing this episode the day Body of uh, American Gangster and its extended cut are leaving Amazon Prime. I noticed mm. when I was watching it earlier today, I had four hours to go or something like that to finish the final 45 minutes of this movie. So it's gone. Sorry. Um, oh, no. But you can rent it through all the services. It they're both are on Blu-ray. I believe even American Gangster has made a 4K um, release. Yeah. Um, readily available. Uh, if you haven't seen them, check them out. Uh, my history with these movies, I saw American Gangster the day it came out, November 2nd, 2007, <laughs> in the theater in Seattle, Washington. I was pumped. For this movie, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. The American Gangster <laughs> Fever. Oh, I had the fever, man. I was listening to Jay Z's The Blueprint nonstop. I was ready to go. I Jay Z was just about to drop his American Gangster, his the album that he was inspired to make <laughs> by seeing American Gangster. And he said something so funny. He was like, much like Scarface, I just took the inspiring good stuff for how I felt from these movies. And I was like, my man, rules so stupid. It's like I, that is a mindset we lack, and we are not thus we are not billionaires like Jay Z. I think we just don't have this mindset of like I'm just gonna take the good stuff, like the good times, like that yeah. entire montage where Tony's on the phone and they're all like laughing and they're like walking to with their crotches at the camera and big buying like pink Corvettes and stuff like that. Like that's all I remember. I remember I nothing from the rest of this movie. It takes a really cool brain. Yes. To watch Scarface, like the coolest of brains. Oh, like that like, brain is fucking cool. I love the idea. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna just, hey, Goodfellas. They robbed the Lufthansa. <laughs> Movie's over. Good time. Yeah. <laughs> casino. Hey, owning this casino seems yeah. fun. You get to hang yeah. out with Don Rickles. Stop the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's this cornfield about? Gonna turn it off now. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you like you you see the good time montage that's in every single one, which is in American. There is a good for things are going well montage, which you have to have in a crime movie. And um, stop the movie after that. It's yeah, perfect. Everything's you great. A, yeah, I don't need anything else. Yeah, I really, story. I really, really hope that Tony and Michelle Pfeiffer worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they seem like good kids. They'll be fine. But yeah, we saw this the day it came out. Um. And I remember feeling kind of ho hum. Mm. Nobody wanted to say it. Like the entire group I went with, it was like I think it was like a double date or something like that. Uh, uh, mm, sexy. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the entire group, I think it was one of these things. Nobody. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these movies. Like it disappointed everyone. But no one wants to say it because everyone is really pumped and they kind of like, man. Oh I yeah. Really ah. want that to be good. I've had multiple times where, like, I think twice we went. I went to the movies with my friends, and we all like. I went with like eight or ten people, and we were all trying to like decide on something. And because it's like such an unwieldy amount of people, we all ended up watching like Transformers. Yeah, like angrily, like we were all just like unhappy no with it, but we did it no anyway. Satisfied, yeah. And so yeah. I, this was actually I watched the extended cut earlier today, as I mentioned, um, and. Um, yeah, it was my second time ever seeing the movie. Mm -hmm. I was re remarkably surprised how I remembered a lot of it. 
like almost beat for beat. So must have maybe had an impact. Uh, what is, what is your American gangster history? Uh, I will say that what's interesting is I saw it too. I can't remember who I saw it with or the context. I guess I can't remember if I saw, I think I might've seen it with my family actually, but, uh, I remember liking it as a kid. Like I, yeah. we watched it in theaters and I like was like, oh, it's a cool movie. Like it was a good like, you know, I, I remember enjoying it. Not being like super blown away, but not having like a terrible time. Uh, I got to ask, though, really quickly. Uh, important question. Uh, what mm -hmm. was like your post? Did you guys like with your double date scenario? Did you guys like go out to eat? Did you have like a post a post movie I, I, dinner hangout? I, place? Um, you know, I think we saw it like as a matinee. <laughs> mistaken like on, huh. um I, I i'm guessing around this time this was a time in which it wasn't so much dinner as straight to drinks you go to a bar go to a gotcha yeah yeah exactly a that's a younger fun. and you know we're out and about yeah. wandering yeah. about probably you're talking probably, about town you know honestly we probably got drunk and then we, me and my girlfriend at the time went through the drive through a Jack in the Box. <laughs> like that rule. Probably... That sounds like the perfect night. Yeah, because like yeah, for me it was like you know in uh in high school it was definitely like there was the marquee and then across from the marquee there was Red Robin. So mm -hmm. that was always the go to the marquee and then you get French for free French fries at Red Robin La Dolce Vita. My favorite one. Um, I used to when I worked in Seattle downtown. Uh, I would walk over to the Pacific Place Mall. This is some good Seattle details. Ooh, um, which was downtown. It was in downtown Seattle. And they had an AMC, the AMC mm -hmm. Pacific Place there, which was a newer theater at the time. But they also had a Gordon Biersch there, and I meet Ooh. a buddy of mine, and we'd always like go to Gordon Biersch right after work, and then where our plan was like you know seven thirty movie or something like that. I would say it was a good 50-50 that we would drink too many beers at Gordon <laughs> Beersh and never make the movie. <laughs> like, so there's 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 a fun dates like tradition. Dolce Vita. See, that's great. What a great like. I remember going there, sit down. It's like, are we ever going to make it to see the American with George Clooney? That was our plan. We were going to watch you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah and it was always that kind of movie like it was kind of like a fringe one that we definitely wanted to see and we saw later on but it was like never like like <laughs> we went over there for inglorious bastards we were there on time to oh yeah but like if it was like the last station starring christopher Plummer, eh, like, maybe yeah. i'll have another beer yeah i'm enjoying these beers they're good <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, and then um body of lies that was kind of a funny one um I didn't see it in the theater, but mm. I was working at the record store at the time, and somebody returned the double disc DVD, claiming mm. it was a defect. <laughs> and I, I brought it home. I'm like, I bet it's not. I bet it's their player. So, folks, hate to tell you, 90, 95% of the time, it's your player. It's mm. not the disc itself. Just adds you? a little insider stuff right there. I, you have better faith in people than I do, honestly, because I would have thought that guy was just trying to do a scam and flam, just trying to get that. Oh, he's like, this movie sucked. This movie sucked. So I brought it home, um, but with defects, you know, they're never going anywhere. So just I watched it one time when I brought it home, mm -hmm. and then it just got slipped somehow, got slipped onto my DVD shelf. And yesterday, I pulled that DVD off my shelf for the first time since that night where I watched the defect. Oh my God. And I took a look at it again. You like, felt like you must have. And 
it worked on this Blu-ray player that I put it in, so the thing was never defective. Wow. Must have felt like fucking Woody in Toy Story 4. Like, oh, it's the first time like Andy's picked me up in a couple years. Yeah. Yeah, the body of lies and sitting there having conversations with the <laughs> other discs on my shelf. Like, don't ever gonna watch me again. <laughs> I just want to see what it's between. Oh, it's between um the newer copy of Kingdom of Heaven, which is a star of the area that I bought the other day for that episode. Yeah, it's the current like it's like the Buzz Lightyear right now. It's the new and toy then, in town. Uh, on the on the other side of it is the counselor, which has always been a star attraction. Oh show. no. He's stuck between two stars. Two stars, yes. <laughs> a new a sexy new ingenue in my Blu-ray <laughs> copy of Kingdom of Heaven. And the old standby in the counselor. <laughs> I can't I can't fight with these 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 two the storied uh, legend in this new ingenue. Yeah, I know, and I'm just this for, forgotten movie. <laughs> like covered in dust. Like we I was like put on like, oh that no, never mind. I'm confusing this within the valley of a law or something. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> or man, I thought this was stop loss. God, for sure. Yeah. I thought this was like the direct DVD sequel to Jarhead. Yeah, I know. We'll get it. We'll get into it. Maybe there were too many of these kind of movies in 2008, yeah, this... 2007, yeah, 2008. It was a weird, weird time. We had a weird, it was a weird time. And who were they for? No one. Not, not for the no. moviegoer, because they didn't watch him. Yeah. yeah, almost all of them uniformly did terrible at the box office. Yeah, like even like the Herd Rot Locker, which is arguably the most generally, successful generally of all these. Considered the best out of this group, still did not was the lowest grossing movie, like Best Picture winner for a long time up until like fucking Coda or something. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Coda, which like I think it's may, like, which may or may not have been a movie. Bro, we yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I think Yoda's box office was uh, a couple of moths. Yeah. I think that's what it is. <laughs> Just a couple of moths Jeez. flying around. Four people who showed up at an AMC trying to buy an Apple Plus membership. That was <laughs> the box office. God. Um, had, you, had you seen Body of Lies before? You know what? I, I haven't, but I remember the... Um... That commercial was just around, like the trailer for it was like in the ether for a long time, and I just a hundred percent remember seeing like sinister Russell Crowe with his gray hair and paunch, like that. For some reason, that is like uh, that like visual has stuck with me for such a long time. Like until we covered the Insider, that was kind of like the gray paunch. I was was really hoping Jeffrey Wigand had been hired by the CIA. (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be so sick. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I gotta break them out. Sadly, the insider is a. I'm just gonna tear this bandaid now. The insider is better than body yeah. of lies. <laughs> yeah, body of lies. Uh, body of pies to the face. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> not I great. Wish, I wish that would be, that would be very funny if it ended in a pie fight. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna talk American Gangster first, Body of Lies second, the traditional Academy Academy chronological order. So, mm-hmm. really, Scott and Russell Crowe, because he's part of this story today. Oh well, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're just finishing up bottle of Merlot in France. I'm guessing. Yep, just having a cracking open a fresh wine. Uh, drink, smoke, and stogies. Oh yeah, old Brian Lidley. He loves cigars. He loves you know just doing guys, you know, guys stuff. Boys being dudes. Boys being dudes. <laughs> and Ridley Scott happens to tell Russell Crowe that um. 
he's being courted for a picture called American Gangster. He says, and Russell Crowe's like, I mate. I mean, I like that idea. <laughs> and I'm playing the I'm playing Frank Lucas. <laughs> and Ridley had to talk. Ridley's <laughs> like, no, 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 no. no you're not famous. Yeah. No, trust me, I'm versatile. <laughs> Russell, no, we talked no. about this. Uh, um, but this story, so <laughs> the basic background on this story is a this is a winding tale, and this is an interesting one because you know, like a lot of young men, I'm a big fan of like gangster and crime movies. Those are kind of bread and butter, high school, college kind of movies. So I heard about this one, and I was following. This is also when I like learned about some of the trade webs, you know sites and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so i was following it really closely because i was like this movie sounds dope you want to mm-hmm. sound it dope the original casting was denzel washington and benicio del toro which sounded dope to me <laughs> like yes i was like that's great i'm a diehard benicio fan so cut back to the year 2000 universal pictures and imagine entertainment imagine entertainment is of course brian grazer and ron howard's um company Purchased the rights to a New York magazine title entitled The Return of Superfly by Mark Jacobson, mm-hmm. uh, which is the story of the rise and fall of 1970s New York heroin kingdom kingpin Frank Lucas. And, and you know, as the movie kind of presents it, be due to Frank Lucas's way of doing business, very intelligent, kind of not a spotlight type of guy this was kind of one of the like unknown tales of crime in new york and plus it has that great like 70s thing with like makes you think of like the black exploitation movies and also right. makes you think of like Sidney lament movies and that kind of thing so you're like yeah that's eventually so that's definitely what the vibe he was aiming for for sure yeah so of course everybody's like, oh man, I love those movies. Yes, <laughs> and this is a great, story. this is a this is a cool story. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so in twenty in two thousand two, um, Stephen Zalian, yes, was brought in to work on this screenplay. Stephen Zalian has come up on the program before. This is a, um, you know, we've talked to these king shit screenwriters who do a lot. Stephen yeah. Zellian wrote Awakenings. He wrote Schindler's List. He wrote he was a writer on the original Mission Impossible. He wrote Hannibal. Movie that's not that great that we covered. Go back to the episode. Uh wrote Gangs of New York. Wrote was a co-writer on Moneyball. The Fincher Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which we'll be talking about at some point soon. Exodus Cuts and Kings, which we'll be talking about at some point soon. And of course, our beloved The Irishman. Ooh. <laughs> We Maybe. Love. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Irishman. Yeah. Uh, so this is guy who is going to get the job done. If you ask mm-hmm. me, if you want a like a big budget adult, like classy movie. He's he's a, he's like a smooth operator. He's yeah. kind of like Ridley Scott in that same regard too, where it's like he he's going to get the job fucking well, done. Well, this is how you, I think, survive as a screenwriter in Hollywood. This is how, mm-hmm. like, the David Kep survive. This is how the Eric Ralph survive. This is how even the William Monaghan survive. Is mm-hmm. like you're able to like pump out these movies that like you know are bigger. They're not. They're not like a Transformers movie. They're not like a you know cut and paste out of Save the Cat or cut and paste out of Joseph Campbell Hero's Journey kind of stories. Right. But they but they also still kind of check the boxes you need to check in order to spend 
upwards of 80 plus million dollars on the budget on right, this kind right. of movie so you know they they get they they're players in the right kind of way they know how to spin a yarn they're like true blue writers which i dig right and speaking sure. of that the original title of this movie was true blue Ooh. and the on these scripts so um steven zalian sat down once he got he was introduced to frank lucas by nicholas pelleggi who i i don't know if you saw was an executive producer on here wow who's of the course is good goodfellas rather goodfellas casino Man. like like dude who was like you know on the ground floor of, of like this world in this universe and yeah so uh, the Zalian hits it off with Frank Lucas, and Frank Lucas, there who is a who was alive and very real person at this time, tells him like, "Well, you need to know about Richie Roberts as yeah. well, who is the cop, who cop quote unquote hero of this story, who mm-hmm. like brought the entire thing crashing down." So Zalian starts hanging out with both of them, and he realizes like, "There's riches on like both sides. The both of these guys are like." utterly fascinating total movie characters yeah they're both larger than life they're yeah and so he he apparently though was so like filled with info filled with stuff and but also was like trying to figure it out because like in this movie the hardest thing that they had to break was the fact that these two guys actually weren't going to meet until the end of the movie Mm mm-hmm and you're like, well, we're going to need to cast two megastars. We want to see them together. <laughs> like, all of these kind of details. Yeah. So in order to, like, make it interesting in, while we wait for these two guys to meet up, um, Zellian apparently wrote an entire script for Frank Lucas, an entire script for Richie Roberts, and then weaved these two scripts together into an original 170 page draft those of you want to be screenwriters out there all of your friends if you present them with a 170 page screenplay will tell you it's too long before they even read this script (laughs) (laughs) but if you wrote schindler's list you can get away with that (laughs) yeah you get you get get at least one read through if you're the schindler's list guy (laughs) yeah your wife though is barely going to take a look at your script is 170 pages. Yeah, you better hope your agent isn't sipping coffee as he looks at your script. Yeah, at your script. Yeah. yeah, you're never working this down again. So, <laughs> so Zoe brought to Ridley Scott, who mm-hmm. expressed interest, and Ridley wanted to make both. I guess he thought he pitched the idea like, let's do one Richie Roberts, one Frank Lucas, which actually kind of groovy. I kind of like that. And I guarantee you this, folks, if TV was what it was in the year 2000 that it is today, this is a miniseries. This is yeah. not a feature film. Because as it stands right now, this feature film, even at a fairly sprawling length that it stands at, is a stuffed movie. Like, there is a lot going on. There's like a... Like hundreds, like over 200 speaking parts or something along yeah. those lines is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a sprawling movie. So um, really did not immediately pursue it, though. He chose to make Kingdom of Heaven as the, around this time. Uh, go back and listen to that episode. It, it, we have not received as many downloads as I would like. And it's a good one. It's a great way. Kingdom of Heaven is good. Anyway. So in November of 2003, Universal Imagine Entertainment entered negotiations with Brian De Palma to direct True Blue, the story of Frank Lucas. 
Now, is our man Brian, would he have brought a little bit of the panache we're going to be talking about desiring to this movie? Mm -hmm. Yes, he would have. Brian would have Brian would have uh, found some really groovy stuff to this. Probably would have played like Carlito's way. All things considered. <laughs> um, Zalian was very proud of this script. He thought it was big statement on American business and race and everything in between. Production set to start in spring of 2004. By spring of 2004, though, Brian De Palma was out. And guess who's in? Our man Antoine Fuqua. Is wow. In. Whoa. Interesting. 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 Interesting indeed, right? Hmm. And Antoine Fuqua by 2004 had developed a relationship and won an Academy Award for Denzel Washington. Oh, man. Denzel Washington had previously been a little concerned about playing gangsters, but he felt that this part was a little more multifaceted. And then he apparently got along quite well with the real Frank Lucas when they were introduced to each other that is interesting there's a moment at the end where denzel's drinking a cup of coffee after he gets out of prison and it might be the weirdest way of holding a coffee cup and drinking coffee i've ever seen in my entire life he looks my insane. Old, it looks truly insane <laughs> and jen was like why is he holding his coffee that way and i go <laughs> frank lucas the real guy must have done that in one of him and denzel's hangs this is the <sighs> only reasoning i have for how strange the folks watch the extended one your minds will be blown you might even try it yourself for all i know <laughs> he <laughs> might start a new coffee holding craze <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it a little too hot on his fingers i don't know like it's it, yeah, it it's, doesn't it, seem to be bothering russell crowe <laughs> like, it, it was it, russell crowe's holding his coffee cup like a human being <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so funny because like in the I watched the I watched the movie where the uh, I watched American Gangster the theatrical cut with the commentary and at one point Ridley Scott describes because he I think everyone like Denzel got to talk to uh, Frank yeah. Lucas Zalian did Ridley as well and at one point Ridley is like he's like a he is a uh, he's a very like reasonable man on one hand he's very like like kind of prim and proper but he's also like is a total sociopath like yeah, the way Ridley he like, was like straight up he's a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He straight up says he's a sociopath. And so, like, it is like, there is this part of me that's like, man, I wish we had a little bit more of that. I feel like you get, like, a taste of that in the movie, but they never go, like... Well, I think this is an issue. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to we'll it. We're still in the pre-production. We got a long way to go here, because this is a crazy story. It's even further to come on the production here. So, yeah. um, he brought in Denzel Washington star as Frank Lucas, um, mm -hmm. By May of 2004, Benicio del Toro had entered negotiations to star as Richie Roberts. Oh, that would have uh, been Very cool. Would have been <laughs> like, not yeah. saying that like uh, Crow yeah. is bad, but like that would be cool. There was there's a talk about a spice there. Yeah. Benicio would have brought something very weird to that. It would have been so been, crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was still called True Blue. Uh, this is True Blue without E's though. So T R U B L U. Would I have been as interested in this movie had it been called True Blue Without Ease as I was when it was called American Gangster? Maybe a smidge less. True Blue is mm. a stupid. True Blue is a stupid name. <laughs> like, oh, for sure. That sounds like I don't even. It sounds American like a show Gangst that's American mm. Gangster is awful and generic in its own right. Yeah, and there should be a moratorium put on any. I think I've said this before on any movie 
that starts that says American blank. Yeah. End it. It's over. Weak. 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 Lazy. The American put an end to that. That's the perfect yeah. period to that type of the last movie where that like worked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Done. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Over. It's lame. And it's trying it's trying to do work for you too, screenwriters. Mm. It's trying to make your script sound more important than it fucking is. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, it's trying to add like a uh, like yeah, like that uh, that gravitas, the gravitas of that the American brand provides, which come on. Yeah, come on. Uh not buying it. So, um, an actress by the name of Dania Ramirez entered negotiations during the film as well. I'm assuming to play Frank Lucas's wife. Mm. Um, and the film by September of 2004, though, had changed its name to American Gangster. Thankfully, mm. <laughs> uh, Universal Pictures greenlit this version at 80 million dollars, which then escalated to 93 million, with 10 million for development costs, 3 million for the delay of production time. Antoine Fuqua insisted the budget be at this high. He also um, insisted to shoot in New York, and he insisted to shoot the Vietnam sequence in Thailand. Yeah. Which, of course, mind you, Ridley Scott eventually got all mm. of those things. Mm. The studio, though, is like, shoot it in Toronto instead of New York. Oh. Antoine correctly was like, Fuck that. Good. Good. Yeah. See, that's cool. I like that. Antoine, that's a point point in the in the good in the good book. So I guess there the this is a very 30 rock thing. GE, the parent company of, of Universal Pictures, oh, received tax credits <laughs> from New York City, so they're okay moving the production to New York. Um, <laughs> this increased the budget to 98 million. Uh they kept balancing around and then he also started casting people like Ray Liotta and John C. Riley in minor roles at their full cost. Oh my awesome. goodness! Aw- awesome, awesome guys. Yeah, awesome. I would have loved to see uh, those guys just walking you, around this world. You would have loved to see it. Um, the and then Fuqua then started to have rewrites done on the script. He did not have a shot list final locations or supporting actors signed on to an initiate production things are not looking good Oof. for american gangster Oof. he antoine fuku was fired october no. 1st 2004 four weeks before they were starting to go to shoot this movie studio said creative differences naturally mm. uh they immediately went to the obvious choice peter berg was this <laughs> oh oh mr <laughs> lone survivor yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter the berg man the berg man the himself, great white hype himself um, <laughs> and denzel washington approved of this choice um the the budget grew substantially because they had to search for another fucking director <laughs> so by then within a month month or so of this, Universal Pictures canceled production of American Gangster. Oof. The cancellation cost the studio $30 million because of a thing called then this is I remember reading about this in like 2007 or, or 2004, I believe. Um 
pay or play contracts. These are in, in within the industry, it's a guarantee that an actor, director, or another participant, usually in the higher level though, will be paid by the studio regardless mm. of if the movie is finished or gets made whatever right so that 30 million dollars 20 million of it went to denzel washington and wow. 5 million went to benicio del toro for mm. not doing anything also what this means is denzel washington was paid twice to be an american gangster <laughs> probably 20 million dollars each time that's a hats <laughs> off to you, Denzel Washington. Dude, buy one make... of those Nicholas Cage pyramids, dog. <laughs> yeah, for making that paper, baby. Yeah, <laughs> like... that is just. Oh man, that definitely bought like a houseboat somewhere. And a that was yacht. the first indication of young Don in 2004 as a 22 year old Hollywood dreamer that things are weird in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. You can find yourself in the right place in the right time in a very fun way. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I was talking to my mom earlier today, she's like, what about all those kids like in other towns who are like dreaming of becoming producers? And I'm like, my advice to them would just tell people, start telling people you are a producer. <laughs> yeah, just lie. <laughs> yeah, just lie. <laughs> that is like so much of life is just like, if you lie, it'll work out. It's working for pretty much everybody else. So. God, yeah. <laughs> Didn't work. Until it does. Yeah, until it doesn't. It's like, we can't all be Richie Roberts. Anyway, we'll talk about that momentarily. March of, two, March of 2005, American Gangster is revived by Universal <laughs> Unimagined because it's a cool idea, man. We want to see this movie. Like, yeah. everyone wants to see this movie. Um, and they brought in Terry George to revise Steven Zellian's all script right. at that Hotel time. Hotel Rwanda. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, fun movie. You're and, not fun. It's a sad movie. <laughs> and um, target budget of $50 million. So significantly mm -hmm. less than what they were looking at before. And they want they went directly to Will Smith to play Frank Lucas in this iteration. Uh, interesting. I can see that. Um, I mean... Mm, yeah. In, yeah, could work, could not. Could work. Depends. Different yeah, movie. Could... Different movie. Yeah, very different. I actually, though, I do think Denzel Washington is actually too old to play Frank. Lewis. Yes, that's the, I was going to say, like, yeah. one of the reasons why Will Smith would have worked a little better is a little he, more age like, appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. like, I think, like, if I remember correctly, Frank Lucas is, like, supposed to be 35. Yeah. You know what would have been great, Jamie Foxx? Ooh. Yeah. Could have been interesting. Or a guy who was in this movie, Idris Elba. Yeah. Well. Mm. Who gets one of the, it's still a jaw dropping scene? His scene. Uh, that's yeah. the that is the frustrating thing about this movie. I know is that I like know. every you, it's the type of movie it's so middling and then occasionally it claws towards brilliance. Like, wow, and then, this is like as good as good fellas. Except it's yeah. not funny. It's not funny at all. There's a spoiler yeah. right there. Not funny at all. Martin Martin Scorsese or Spike Lee directs this movie. It's funny. Yeah, that's the well. It's just missing like the texture. It yeah. doesn't have like like the, there's no like. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get yeah, to we got to go back. Let's go back. Keep going. Sorry. It's just it's we'll so hard not to talk story. about this, this stuff. Yeah, I know. It, it really is. So um, Terry George cut key scenes, characters, the mm. Asian locations, all of it. 
but they couldn't get past the financial problems. And Brian Grazer realizing this story is like, we can't whittle this down. It has to have all of this stuff to mm-hmm. really have it make sense. So um, in the meantime, Ridley Scott and Steven Zalian, or Steve Zalian, you know, to talk about another project. And Steve Zalian still is kind of obsessed with American Gangster, and he brings it up again to Ridley Scott. And this time, Ridley is receptive to it. Mm. February 2006, Ridley Scott enters talks with the studio to take over American Gangster from Terry George and return to Steve Zalian's original draft. Word. They talk Denzel Washington into returning to play Frank Lucas and back to the beginning of our story on the set of good year with your cigars and your Merlot <laughs> Ridley talks his best boy, Russell Crowe into playing Richie Roberts. Simultaneously, Denzel Washington had a blast working with Russell Crowe on 1995's classic virtuosity and was thrilled. They wanted to join. They wanted to be in this movie together and have a good time. Oh. Two heavy hitters. You you could feel it. And from what I understand, like really said, like these are two like really talented, really amazing guys, and really hard headed. It's like you got to come in, you got to wear your big boy pants if you're gonna have a movie with both these guys together. <laughs> they have opinions. Yeah. So Scott worked over the script with Russell Crowe in France. While they were doing a good year, just to like wow. mess around. Uh, so not only did Steve Zellian have his script, Terry George had his script, and apparently when Fuhua was in charge, the great novelist Richard Price wrote a script as well. Whoa! Clockers, too. He wrote yep. Clockers. Yeah. yeah. In the yeah. book, he wrote the book Clockers. So that's why, yeah. 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 But uh, he wrote yeah. the uh, screenplay for Color of Money, and yeah, you know, talented uh, guy. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the very best. at his thing so um but scott ended up preferring steve zalian's script and chose to follow that one um he was still uh concerned about the fact that lucas and roberts do not meet until like the final 20 minutes of this movie give or take um, so that's why they really worked hard to flesh out both guys to make them like counterbalance each other and be equal, basically try to make them equally interesting. So you weren't wondering when are they going to catch up with each other? <laughs> I personally like the slow burn because I think one of the best, the, I think the best moment of the entire movie is when Denzel Washington's walking out of that church and the camera slowly creeps over his shoulder and we finally see Russell Crowe standing outside the church. It's like, that's like really like, to me, I was like, oh, that is like, that's satisfying. Yeah. Like, that's a, you know, it's a great moment. They both get cool, like movie star shots. And that's it, yeah. too. They're, they're very like, yeah, Crowe can create a satisfying, or not Crowe, Scott can create a satisfying shot. Like, yeah. you know. Like we've always talked about like, it a million times. Like that's not where he's lacking. No. His his movies are always elegant. They're always smooth. Just no profoundly competent. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We'll get back to the that word shortly here. Um. They um they built up on 
their family stuff, in particular Richie's dysfunctional marriage. And I really dug the all of that stuff too. Um, they brought in uh so they are always concerned about the budget and kind of the story being so heavy. So to get younger audiences, they added all the rappers. Mm. as supporting actors so ti rizza and common are all in the movie because of that um and you know and just kind of, and they um the budget by this point had escalated to a hundred million mm. to which brazer stated was unexpected given it's not a high concept comedy it's not a fantasy movie it's not a four quadrant movie um, and they still went over budget, and apparently Grazer and Scott had to pay back three million out of pocket. Uh, upon that time, wow. Uh, principal photography began July of two thousand six in New mm -hmm. York City. Filmed over a period of approximately four months, hundred and eighty different locations. As Patrick mentioned, almost two hundred speaking roles. Um, a absolutely massive like i just noted here denzel washington has 64 costume changes insane yeah it's the, um, the scope is just unreal scope is absolutely unreal um the the team the crew oh. on this movie um beyond those we've already mentioned cinematographer is harris savitas who we just talked mm -hmm. about last week on the game uh immaculate Walk yeah. in this his one and only uh walk with uh Ridley. Um he editing, the goods. editing by Pietro Scalia, Ridley's um normal guy. Yeah. Uh production designed by Arthur Max, um Ridley's usual guy. Mm -hmm. And music by Mark Streitenfeld, who we've talked mm -hmm. about previously on the show. And I, I liked the music in this. It wasn't overbearing. Apparently Denzel Washington was actively pushing for Jay-Z to do the score Ooh. to this movie. Um, but Brian Grazer was like, I think the like non-obtrusive score with the 70s soul songs is probably like a better idea. It would maybe take us out of the period setting, despite the fact I think all of the needle drops in this movie are totally obvious needle drops. Mm -hmm. And they use like the like standard 70 soul songs that everyone has heard a million times i mean right you know it's just fine they're all good songs yeah it's i just, love it's every very, one of them but yeah it does have you feeling like you're watching like a like the david ayer suicide squad where it's just like okay every song is just a little on the nose it's just <laughs> and you kind of dream of like oh if spike lee or marty or uh, yeah. Quentin oh, Tarantino were like, involved I'm, in this. The score, like, the music, would have been a little bit more dynamic. Well, imagine like if Spike Lee had done it, like the Terrence Blanchard score would have been yeah. at the park, crushed. It. Oh, and that would have been so good. Yeah, it like because that those those big horns would have emphasized the kind of operatic drama of yeah. this story. And Which, you know he could have done the sorrowful 70s vibes, too. Like, yeah. Uh, and it just would have felt more... It's weird for a movie that, like we said, this gigantic movie that went through all of these iterations and all of these money, and we haven't even gotten into the supporting cast yet and all this kind of stuff, to feel so subdued. Mm -hmm. And so... 
weirdly mellow. Yeah. Like, it's not that it isn't like it's not that it isn't entertaining. It's just like it it never like gets its heart rate up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like it, it, except for the final um I would say I would argue except for the final shootout. The um the the bust in the um drug den. Yeah. That like that 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 moment's great. There's a great car chase, I think, yeah. midway through it. There's like there's a couple moments here and well, there. I'll tell you where, that like... about the car thing, man. You know, I was thinking is actually who and I know he was total poisoned by this time and an old man lunatic. Right. My my beloved Billy Friedkin would have taken this yeah. movie. <laughs> like he would have Oh yeah. You know. It would have been so good, but he also would have said, "I can't top the French Connection, so fuck this movie." That's what yeah. he would. Have, yeah. <laughs> I can't redo Live or Die in L.A. I don't yeah. have the heat anymore. I've I can't shut down. I've, I've already done better. How could I do better than to live and die in L.A.? <laughs> love that. Movie. Uh, love it. Yeah, live for live sure. forever, Mr. Friedkin. Um, but speaking of the music, uh, you know, when the trailer dropped to this movie and they used Jay Z's "Heart of the City," "Ain't No Love" from the his uh, blueprint album which was one of his very best albums to begin with mm -hmm. um it really like Denzel may have been on something because you like to see this like man this is gonna be good <laughs> like the song fits <laughs> this so well <laughs> yeah you're pumped and, and Jay-Z was invited to an advanced screening and he had such a profound the film had such a profound resonance on him that he decided to create a concept album called American Gangster, which came out, golly, like no, November 6, 2007. Mm. Uh, so that was, yeah, same week as this movie came <laughs> out. And uh, of course, uh, why would I have thought like it came out like a year before? That would be so stupid. <laughs> like, cross promotion, like Jay-Z didn't become a billionaire for nothing. He knows cross promotion. Yeah, he gets it. <laughs> and um, which was a good album, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want it, my overall opinion on Jay Z. Okay, we gotta, we gotta hear this. We've been waiting. If you want my overall opinion, so Jay Z was a um in the CD days mm. for quite a while. He was a first day purchase CD mm -hmm. guy for me. Like ups and downs, but. So by the time American Gangster came out in 2007, he had retired in 2003 with the Black Album, which has got like tunes like 99 Problems and, oh, yeah. um, you know, what I more can listen I say? To Dirt Off the... Your Shoulder. Right. Really, I love, love that album. Oh, I used to listen to the acapella version of the 99 and like yeah. the one where it's like, I guess like Rick, he's like, you're crazy for this one, Rick, or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so then he returned from his brief sojourn into retirement <laughs> with um, Kingdom Come, which I did not love, but I was very pumped and I bought this the second it came out. Was it inspired <laughs> by Kingdom of Heaven? Who's to say? Who's to say? And then 2007. <laughs> American Gangster. 2009, he releases Blueprint 3, which mm. compared to the previous two Blueprints was not there. And then basically the next big release was 2011's Watch the Throne with Kanye West, which for all of Kanye West's latter-day madness, Watch the Throne ruled. 
2011. Yeah. No, <laughs> that was good. I liked it. I listened to that. I remember illegally downloading that and enjoying it. <laughs> but also, Kanye was like much hotter on the record than Jay Z was. Jay Z was like, yeah, he lazy. was kind of sleepy. He was a sleepy, standing lazy to me. And I'm looking sleepy at it now, dude. and 2011 was the last time I bought a Jay Z record, and I listened to him, and I just like, I just like, it's over, man. No, 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 uh, no interest. Lazy, it's, you're a lazy yeah. billionaire now. Yeah, it's it's hard. I feel like you know, it's easy to say that like hip hop is like a young man's game or whatever, or like music in general, even. But like, yeah. I am like curious. I would be fascinated to see like. I feel like there's going to be like a Bob Dylan of hip hop at some point, like some guy who's and like in his seventies. That would be interesting to see, like when they have like one of them has to undergo like open heart surgery to get rid of like an artery blockage, and then think about man, like I survived everything, and now I'm just gonna like die of a heart attack. That sucks. Yeah, and being then a dad is they, hard. Yeah, we, yeah, I want to hear those albums. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like we are like at, God. I remember when like. Jay-Z's, when, 50, Jay-Z's 53 years old. Oh, dude. Well, when like Snoop Dogg uh, performed in Eminem or whatever, they performed at the uh, Super Bowl or whatever, that was like the moment where like, okay, this era of hip-hop is officially dad rock. Like, yeah. this is like, this is 100% playing well, it's, on it's, classic rock stations almost. It's it's nostalgia. In the same, you know, because like my generation are reaching the nostalgia phase faster than any previous generation and then the people younger than me are going to hit it even harder oh I've, yeah it's every generation it's like they just it's instant nostalgia now practically well i mean like i was hearing somebody talk about the mario brothers movie and they're like why why did why is anyone surprised by this it's like a well-made kids movie and it's also a perfect storm of nostalgia so oh, of course yeah. it's going to do well at the box office oh 100 like anyone who thought that movie wouldn't do well is yeah. like a fool like no effect like it is yeah. just like it's just there's no it's, such thing as the four quadrants anymore. There's two quadrants. There's children and there's nostalgic people. Like, yeah, it's like yeah, children and nerds. Those are like yeah. the two. Those are the, those, pre- are the, those are the two people that go to movies at this point. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, so, um, but I mean, like, it is a young man's game. I've, you know, generally in the past, a lot of times, you know, RZA included. Uh, in this movie, you know, Wu Tang's album, first album is still Wu Tang's best album. Like I think Nas's first album is still Nas's best album. Right. A lot of many hip hop artists have that kind of like their first album is their great record. Um, yeah. Jay Z almost made ten records that were good before mm-hmm. he kind of like yeah like, became a billionaire. Out. Yeah. Became a billionaire and got lazy, you know. And so you know, good on him. Like, and those those ones that I mentioned that I said I liked are still like really really good records <laughs> no i mean like there's nothing wrong with that but i just like i tired of him <laughs> a little bit and you know so i guess like look talking about him today and thinking about 2007 when the american gangster album came out i was like oh that was the last time it was like to me like he was like the most one of the most important guys in music like right. it really has filtered out to that he's like almost an afterthought me now yeah but like yeah that's not gonna upset jay's my opinion's not gonna upset jay-z jay-z's oh, just, jay-z's he's, doing just fine he's, <laughs> he's chilling at the 4040 club right now yeah just, you know hanging I, out uh, with like uh i don't know like, i still say all the time i'm i'm not superman i'm super man <laughs> shit like that <laughs> i'm not a businessman i'm a business 
Man. Man. So Jay-Z's quote about watching American Gangster, it was like I was watching the film and putting it on pause and giving a backstory to the story. It immediately clicked with me, like Scarface or any one of those films. You take the good out of it, and you can see it as an inspiring film. <laughs> Not Brian De Palma's version. <laughs> um, no, yeah, that's some moments in that movie where they're a little funky. So basically... You know, to get to it, we've kind of tapped around it. But the basic plot is, is the rise of Frank Lucas in Harlem, mm-hmm. New York, in Harlem in the 70s, be going from a driver to original gangster Bumpy Johnson, who's played in this movie by a favorite of ours, Clarence Williams Ooh. III. Very good. Um, who's also in deep cover, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Go watch that, folks. Go watch yeah. that movie. So good. It's a, it's a banger. It's the, um, it's the Academy Academy pick of the week. Yeah, uh, above these two. So, Bumpy Johnson passes away, and there's a vacuum, power vacuum, in Harlem who can take mm-hmm. over. Frank has learned everything at the foot of Bumpy Johnson and takes over and then simultaneously discovers a way to import because the purity of heroin is not good. Yeah. And um none of it's good though. I mean it's all Yeah. Shitty, it's all pretty yeah. This is this is the shady ground when we get to Jay Z talking about being inspired. <laughs> like as Richie Roberts does tell Frank Lucas, you've killed thousands of people. You're bad. You're yeah, you bad. are not a great You're, guy. You are a bad. I cheat on my wife, and I am actually the good guy in this yeah. movie. <laughs> like, uh, you are, Frank Lucas, you're kind of a jerk and a yeah, bit of a stinker. Yeah, and you like shoot people in the face like regularly. Oh, and yeah, you, you like when uh, crushing a guy's head with a piano is like one of the least fucked up things you do. Yeah, um, <laughs> but he's played by Denzel Washington, so it's like hard to, you know. And also, so, Don, he's a, he's a dang family man, remember He's that. a dang family, yeah. Exactly. Loves his freaking family. Yeah. But loves yeah, no them one... enough to get them involved in a uh, multi-level drug operation. Turn them all into varying degrees of like basket case cokeheads, like all yeah. his brothers. <laughs> all his yeah brothers. Yeah, to put his like yeah one of his like younger brother or like grandson, his young cousin. Yeah, his yeah. cousin, his nephew or something like nephew, that. Into yeah, arms way. he gets capped too. Like yeah. in the in the final sequence. So anyway, Frank discovers a, a thought that. Um, he can import heroin from Vietnam directly using a cousin who's in Vietnam by getting it pure and direct from the plant and then bringing it over inside of the coffins of soldiers who passed away in the conflict in Vietnam. Dark, very dark, very, very successful. Yeah, it it worked. (laughs) And it totally worked. Uh, He rubs he takes over Harlem he defeats the 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 Italian gangsters at their own game and like they become basically in servitude to him and um but he draws some attention namely from Richie Roberts played by Russell Crowe our mm. intrepid detective who's introduced in a very Serpico like situation in which he discovers a million dollars in the trunk of a car, but then turns it into evidence like a honest cop should do, which of course makes everyone in the 1970s New York police force. <laughs> and frankly, the 2023 New York police force <laughs> like, de- definitely angry and they, they all want to kill him. And it's basically this, 
So the dichotomy, the contrast between the guys. Frank Lucas is a hardened killer criminal, but also has an extreme set of ethics and is a strong, loyal family man. Yeah, he's like a, a businessman, but also a family man, but also a horrible sociopathic monster. Indeed. Richie Roberts is an honest, to an absolute fault, good police officer who's going to law school. He's going to be more than likely a good lawyer. Yeah. But he's a total fucking cad who can't keep his dick in his pants at all. And sleeps around on everyone. His wife, played by the great Carla Gugino, who I love every time she shows up in movies. I rightfully hates his guts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's hated to the point where, like, on Thanksgiving, this motherfucker's eating, like, chicken of the uh, sea and, like, with chips. And... chips on a sandwich, man. <laughs> but, like, that's just like bachelor lifestyle at its worst. That is another example, though, of, like, some of the brilliance in this movie is the cross-cutting between his Thanksgiving and Frank's Thanksgiving and seeing the rest of our characters, how they're living their existence. Oh, yeah. Well, and Trupo's Thanksgiving, we'll get too. To, so we're going to get to him now. So meanwhile, there is a set of duster-wearing, mean as shit, special investigator cops, who seems to be special investigation is how to do crime best. They're like (laughs) as uh, three-dimensional as the, or they're as two-dimensional as the uh, villain Anchorman from Anchorman. They're like, it's essentially Wes Mantooth. Yeah, it totally, and and his news team. Yeah, yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah, and the leader of this group, Detective Trupo, is played by a chain-smoking, mustachioed... Snidely uh, whiplash, motherfucker. mustache-twirling psychopath, Josh Brolin. We'll just tell you right now, he's the best part of this movie. <laughs> like, he slaps, he's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's, well, it's yeah. an absolute like showstopper performance from... Him every time he shows up on screen, trouble. It's so good. Does he beat up Denzel Washington's wife? Yes. Does he shoot a dog? Yes. Is he just mean and cruel to everyone? Like from the second he meets them, and is he is he like one of the greatest bullies we have seen on our show? Absolutely. Like, just, uh, just an entity of pure, like, stupid malice. It is, like, yeah, a treat. It is so I bad. You wish Serpico had run into him just so they could have had a scene together. Yeah. Like, it's, and so in 2007, you, you all know him as Thanos now. He's been around the block. Mm-hmm. So I knew Josh Brolin up until this point from Goonies. He's the older, oh, yeah. Sean Aston's older brother in Goonies. He's in things like Thrashing. He was in, um, I keep mistaking him with Jason Bateman because they had a very similar trajectory that like took an upturn right around this time. <laughs> um, but the, he was essentially though, like he'd shown up in things like Flirting with Disaster. He's in Guillermo del Toro's Mimic. He's in Woody Allen's Melinda Melinda, but kind of was in like real deep supporting roles. Like he was kind of like a washed child actor. Gotcha. But then in 2007, for some, somehow, he is in the Robert Rodriguez portion of Grindhouse, Planet Terror. He's in In the Valley of Allah. He's in American Gangster. And he's in No Country for Old Men. Wow. 
all of a sudden this child actor basically grew a mustache and had drank and smoked so many cigarettes in the meantime that he looked get this folks like an adult masculine dude <laughs> and he had what we like to call in the biz gravitas <laughs> hey it goes to show you if you just you treat yourself poorly for like 20 we've years talked, we've talked about this this is we've talked about this on the show yes your life expectancy will not go as hard as long as you'd like but you will be deeply remembered by goons like patrick and i <laughs> yeah um, don't do that we were talking about you and like all of the goons that harassed serpico who all <laughs> probably died at 55 um we love all of them. <laughs> yeah, they they have their own ring of heaven. All these goons, they all hang out together. Peter yeah. Fox, Jack Cahoe, all these guys that uh, you know, that were you know looking like Wallace shot at thirty five. Yeah, these guys who like show up on set with a unibrow and they're like, "You gonna shave that?" I'm like, no, and take a drag of their cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is shaving? Yeah, <laughs> I've never done that before. I sh- I shave before church. That's it. They're all a bunch of Peter Fox. I love all of them. Oh, yeah. Don't do that skin regiment. Don't, yeah. you know, have just three bottles of whiskey but, before you know, he's the thing, that jo- the thing that Josh Brolin has going for him, he's like hard and looks like an adult. He's also a hunk. So that yeah. helps his cause, you know? Mm. That gets him the leading man roles. But like in 2008, he's George W. Bush. It's so great. He gets an, an Oscar nominated for, not for milk. For milk. The same, yeah. He's like the milk man. He's like back. He's in every he's in a ton of stuff. And yeah. it's amazing. He's in in 2010, he's in You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger, another Woody Allen movie, but this time wow. he's, he's one of the leads. Mm, <laughs> not that side. He's not below uh Chiwetel Ejiofor on that yeah. cast list. No, but he but he was in Melinda and Melinda. Or he, <laughs> was he in Melinda Melinda? Yeah, he was in yeah. Melinda Melinda and he was in uh well, good transition. Uh, in American oh, yeah. Gangster. <laughs> He's another person. Here's another take. Chiwetel for 100% could have played the American Gangster role, too. Yeah, he could have. He was just Great, a little, like, underrated newer, actor. Newish at the time. So Chiwetel Ejiofor plays Huey Lucas, Frank's brother. Mm. Um, going down this list, though. Lamara Nadal plays Ava, Frank's wife. I'd never seen her before. She's absolutely lovely. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bummer. She's like, uh, she doesn't I really. I think this is like her one big movie. Yeah, I don't. I I was not particularly familiar with her. Um, Ted Levine. <laughs> is oh, this he's so good. Great, yeah. great, great, great is the stuff. the beefhead. Uh, you know, his as Richie's boss. He's so yeah. he's such a per- great per- role he's born to play. Uh, Roger Guinevere Smith, who was in. Um, gosh, we have seen him. He's so. King of New York. He's in Deep Cover. He's, he's so good in Deep Cover. He's Pan- he's in Panther. He's mm-hmm. in a just a ton of Spike Lee movies. Um, you know, just like a great actor. He plays the um cousin in Vietnam. Yeah, who's who's helping make make things happen over there? Uh, John Hawks, the great John Hawks, plays Ooh. Freddie Spearman, who's. Russell Crowe's number two on his crew. We got a great crew movie in general. Two great crews yeah. in this See, one. Why it should have been two movies. We could have gotten more crew time. Could have gotten more crew time, absolutely. Riza plays Moses Jones, who's on <sighs> really uh, Russell Crowe's crew. Yul Vasquez plays Alfonso Bruso. He's great. As he rolls too. 
Uh, Malcolm Goodwin plays Jimmy Z, who is the drive one of the driver Chuatel's uh, driver who turns informant. Uh, Ruby D plays Frank's mother. Ruby D was nominated for best supporting actress. Yeah, for this movie. You know what? I remember uh, when that happened. That being like, on one hand, I was like, it's kind of crazy. She's only in the movie for like eight minutes or whatever. But then watching her in this movie. And then she when you comp- compound with like her like agents, it's like yeah, she's yeah, yeah she gets it. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carla Gugino plays Lori Roberts, uh, Richie's estranged wife. This guy is not in the movie enough. John Ortiz, Ooh. who I I am every time he's in a movie or show, I'm happy to see him. Like great actor, one of the best. Uh, he plays Richie's first partner, who. Almost immediately, it's not just a downward slump. He it's gets just, involved. Yeah. He gets involved with drugs himself. He gets involved with the shooting himself. It's not good. It's His not arc good. is wild. And he gets like he, he, he gets up, like thirty minutes. He ends up passing away from a drug overdose because this, which starts the entire uh, train in this movie, because basically, because Frank has imported this hundred percent pure heroin. Unfortunately, that also means a lot more mm. overdoses. Um, one thing that was I thought found very sweet when we were watching this film. I told Patrick beforehand. Our my daughter and I were watching American Gangster this morning. She's two. She's old enough. Yeah, yeah she <laughs> yeah. can handle it. I paused it right before he pops it herself. I was like, oh, should I show her this? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's this moment where John Ortiz is in a really bad way, and he's talking with a very upset Russell Crowe. She was having some. Uh, Goldfish crackers. Ooh, love them. Little kid, little kids love them. I love them. Classic, classic and snack. She's in this phase where you know she's trying to feed dolls. She's trying to feed stuffed animals, like her bottles, and it's very sweet. It's like just an imitation kind of thing. She strolls up to the TV. She's never done this before while watching TV, and she tries to give the brutally down on his luck at his at his low point. John Ortiz. She tries to feed him a um goldfish cracker and i was so proud of her humanitarian efforts to help out this man who was in such trouble yeah John Ortiz, she, yeah, he's she, also, she also she also tried to give one to russell crowe why not um hey you know what he's there too cuba gooding jr is in this movie as rival gangster and pimp nikki barnes yeah he's uh, a, a lunatic in this movie he's a total lunatic but you know that's definitely adds a little spice where this movie needed it but like this cast man i'm i'm not even halfway there armand asante Plays yeah. the leader of the Italian mob, Dominic Cantano. He's number two guy, the great John Polito. So good. As Rossi. Um, Joe Morton from Terminator 2 oh, shows yeah. up as Charlie he's... Williams, confidant to He has a great little Frank. mustache. A guy I love every time he's in things. Richie Coster is in this movie. He plays Joey Sedano. So Russell Crowe's character grew up in New York and you know, basically, apparently, if you grow up in the outer boroughs, you're either going to be a cop or a criminal, according to movie movie law. Yeah. Is there any, like, law of film? Jen brought up, she's like, what if, why don't they just be a plumber? Like, gangsters and cops have toilets. They're going to need those fixed. So they're going to need a plumber. Yeah. Come on. A, yeah, an electrician. Yeah. But so he's so he became a gangster. And but he and Russell Crowe still play softball on the weekends, and he's the godfather of Russell Crowe's son, which is bad for Russell Crowe in court. But he's great in the movie. Uh, Idris Elba plays Tango, 
um, mm. a rival gangster who meets a very unceremonious end in a very good scene. Ooh, that yeah. you gotta hand it to Steven Zellian. So, so Frank is trying to establish his dominance in a variety of ways in this scene, and he accomplishes all of them by mm-hmm. killing Idris Elba. His brothers have just hit town, and they're not sure how real this is. He goes out, and Idris Elba's already caused him problems with this whole, like, I want a gratuity from you kind of thing. Frank doesn't blink, and he shoots Idris Elba right in the head. But he does it in a public way. So he's announcing to Harlem, he's the boss. He's announcing to his brothers, he's for real, and he's the boss. And he has taken out his number one like uh, competition within right. Harlem. That is a, an economic scene, Patrick, in order <laughs> to accomplish a lot of detail, a lot of character details and a lot of momentum with only one real move. Well, like what's good, interesting... good screenwriting, Mr. Zalian. Oh, Zalian King. Well, and also yeah. like uh, one thing I didn't notice too, is he puts like uh, money in the coffee cup or whatever. Yeah. And apparently that's for like the cops. Yeah. That's like a little like uh, I didn't catch that. I thought that was like a reference to something that happened earlier and in the film or whatever. He's got a, so that Thanksgiving scene we were talking about earlier. We see Denzel Washington having a great family Thanksgiving. We see Russell Crowe having the lonely single dad Thanksgiving. And then Josh Brolin, who was introduced earlier, having this badass um, like Mustang. Oh, yeah. Uh, he wakes up on Thanksgiving. Goes outside, finds a t- live turkey on his front porch, and then his car blows up. So Josh Josh Brolin didn't know any of that was going to happen. Oh, really? When they filmed that, Ridley Scott's like, let's just go. He didn't realize that, number one, he was going to get a turkey, and he didn't realize, <laughs> number two, he was going to get a, his car exploded. So, like, and his reaction is like a real, like, real. like, son of a bitch. Like, that, <laughs> that is all him. Awesome. Um Two of the Lucas brothers are played by Common and T.I., as we had mentioned earlier there in the movie. And then um, our dude Kevin Corrigan shows up for one scene at the beginning of the movie to kind of get the ball rolling on the them finding the cash in the trunk. Very funny stuff. He immediately He's gives great. people up. He um, Almost the same way he like gets the ball rolling in The Departed as, yeah. DiCaprio, as DiCaprio's cousin. <laughs> it's like the role he was born to play, unfortunately, for him, probably. Yeah. Like, He's like so Gooby. good, yeah. Yeah, because like between like this movie and like uh, just even like I feel like he plays a similar character in Pineapple Express too. He's just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. He's just like he he plays like this like dumpy scumbag so well. He's so he's so dumpy. I love it. Yeah, he's so good. And then um, in some smaller roles, Norman Reedus shows up briefly as a detective in the morgue, and you kind of wish Norman Reedus had been on Russell Crowe's team. I was expecting that, like. I guess like this was like post uh, post Boondocks pre Walking Dead, so he was kind of in the woods a bit. He was he was and, like Reedus was kind of lost. Yeah, uh, Blade Two. Oh, well. it's true. Yeah, post Blade Two. Man, he kind of fell off after Blade Two. That's a bum. Yeah, yeah but, it, but he got Walking Dead, and he's fine. He's fine. oh yeah, he's fine. He hangs out with fine. Hideo Kojima all day. He his life is yeah. perfect. Yeah, he's, he's great. Fine. He's doing great. Um, <laughs> and then the final guy I wanted to mention, you know, one scene wonder as well. The actor Roger Bart shows up as the U.S. attorney toward the end of the movie. Wait, who, that was Roger Bart? Yeah, who's, wow. who reams Russell Crowe and then proceeds to be 
racist and anti-Semitic, just non-stop. And wow. like the worst guy in the movie, maybe. And he shows up for one scene with a bunch of energy, and you're like, I want to punch him too. Yeah, bad yeah. evil energy emanating from that creep. It's a good because yeah. Because the competency porn heads among our include which are Patrick and I and many of our listeners, mm-hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Richie has done a good job in this investigation. Don't screw. Don't come in here and try and like stop this guy. He's gonna nope. bust. he's gonna make this bust. Yeah, don't like, bring yeah, this guy is a professional. Let him do his job. Yeah, don't, he's done don't, his that. detective work has been good. <laughs> he's a good detective. Like, yeah. He you know, by the way, really quickly, do you know who Norman Reedus is married to? Diane Kruger, right? Crazy. Yeah. Did not know that. Okay, moving on. Sorry. I had to yeah. say that. Um, so that's the yeah, the cast is utterly like spectacular. Oh yeah. Maybe and the most so, stacked cast we've covered. Basically, it's just this epic movie. This director's cut that I watched was 177 minutes long. The theatrical was 157. Mm -hmm. Um, The issue with this movie, as Patrick and I have been alluding to this for the last hour, (laughs) is it never rocks. Yeah. It's never like, you know, you watch Scarface, you watch Goodfellas. There's like a spice that you mentioned, mm-hmm. like, and even like you watch Dog Day Afternoon, which Serpico, there is like this like life texture, happening. texture, you know. And I read Ridley Scott like said he oh he was an ad man in the seventies, so he shot New York all the time, and he knew the hard New York. I saw that. that yeah, thing. he talked about that too, and I was like, eh, maybe I don't know. You've definitely and, walked through it. I won't put that against you. Yeah, and so, like, this movie is not, like, it's not bad. It's not, like, a bit, like, an out-and-out failure. I yeah. think what bothered me in that initial screening years ago, and I think what we're talking about today, is this feeling of, like, this could have been, like, a straight-up classic. I think that that's where the disappointment lies. Yeah, it's, just, it's like... It's not good enough. There's so much potential. Yeah, it and it feel and it feels like a it feels like all these incredible because even like I think Scott has it in him to make spicy cinema like you know there's movies we're gonna cover like House of Gucci for its flaws it's spicy there's like spice in that movie yeah but yeah and I mean and I think you know we do, we don't want to make the comparison too much but like the edge that his brother brings yeah that kind of wild man edge. The mean this, edge. Yeah, like the last Boy Scout shit. And <laughs> it had just like 10% last. I want to watch that movie again. I've been thinking yeah. about that movie a lot lately. I mean, I'm like the Tony ones. Like I'm already like going back just for fun. That's how good they are. Off topic. They're so good. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but they but they pop more. Yeah, but like there's nothing yeah. in like. Yeah. And all of the performances, even like we said, Denzel's a little too old, but he's still great. He's still infinitely watchable. Yeah. Him and Denzel, him and, him and Crow, you know, lead the way. They're the foundation, but everybody brings it. Everybody's good in this movie. Nobody sticks out. Like, everybody's a joy in their performances. And maybe if they had all kind of like, kind of went with Brolin's like big swing, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I was thinking about it too, Patrick, and this is going to go with 
body lies as well. I was thinking a lot about Blade Runner this week. Mm. Yeah. And I, I am on record as not being like a Blade Runner fanatic, gotcha. like some people are, mm -hmm. but I appreciate it. And I do think Ridley Scott got spooked by how hard it was and by the initial reception. And he put everything into it. And basically, since then, he has, in a sense, been playing it safe. That's so tragic. Outside I don't want of Thelma and Louise. Yeah. But he got blessed with that script and those mm -hmm. two actresses who put yeah. it over the top. It wasn't so much his as it was them. There was like serendipity to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah. All uh, he had to do was execute her excellent script, not get in the way of it, and let those two actresses shine. Yeah, unfortunately... There is like a a workman like professionalism that uh that is a double edged sword yeah to every Ridley Scott production because on one hand you are guaranteed a specific level a certain level of competency you're never gonna get like a truly like awful awful with the exception you know you can make an argument for Hannibal being pretty awful but Hannibal's like not great and fourteen ninety two is kind of a mess fourteen ninety two yeah. Other than that, they're all competent at worst. Yeah, exactly. They're pretty like uh, they kind of like check all the, the they check all the boxes, you know, for what you yeah. need for a film that works. But then like the downside to that is like it just it never feels like the lack of risk uh, creates a lack of character, like the lack yeah. of like there's just no like well, he's never going to like get burnt by the sun because he never flies close enough oh, to it. Man. Yeah. And obviously, like, there are things like, you know... That's where you shine brightest, bro. I know. <laughs> you know. But I think he just wants to work. Yeah. Which is fair. Work, which is fair. And, he's... and he likes doing... He clearly loves, like... That's, yeah. like, the, the one thing, him, like... He loves making movies. Yeah, yeah, and, like, you hear him talk about it. He, like, he loves, like, solving puzzles and, like, yeah. doing... Like, he... I think that, like... With that mentality, like, you can, it's cool, like, he's a great work workman, but then, like, it just, yeah, it doesn't feel like the, he loves the craft more than he loves the story, maybe. Maybe that's it, or he but loves, like, I think yeah, it's I just, know. they're just not, um, I don't think he sees them as a means of personal expression. Mm. In the same vein that, you know, I watched, um... No, I mentioned watched Serpico mm -hmm. this past week, and it felt like City Lament really like felt it, and it felt like Al Pacino. He allowed he in unlocked Al Pacino to really, really feel it, and create this like indelible character. I watched um, Licorice Pizza recently, and Licorice Pizza is so fucking weird, mm -hmm. but it's because Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't care; he's only out to express whatever weird thing he wants to put out there. Well, like he has I, no interest in anything else other than that aspect of things. Yeah. They both and, have like... Mm. Yeah. And I just feel like, um, you know, Ridley, like we were saying earlier, like Ridley is the most competent, maybe the most competent director. Period. Yeah. But that just does not even close to make him the greatest director. Yeah, it is just like he needs like a vibe expert or something. He needs someone who can like because like you watch this movie and everything is done competently. Everything, you know, 
costumes perfect yeah uh sequences perfect everything's perfect but like you know, there's, it doesn't feel lived. There's just a, the lived-in element, like what makes Serpico work for me, and what makes even Licorice Pizza work for me. Serpico yeah. feels like it. It points. It kind of feels like a documentary. They yeah. have the right guys cast in the right ways. Same thing with Licorice Pizza. Licorice yeah. Pizza. Like, there's a reason why Leonardo DiCaprio's weirdo father is cast as like the 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 the, the mattress salesman guy. Uh, also, like, yeah, and there's a reason why even the two leads who do not look at all like traditional Hollywood leads no. are in the movie. He put them in there because they were awkward. Because it was going to be a little like off kilter. And it works because of that. Yeah, and I think it like this movie, it's like the polish just works in its uh it, it's wor- like with American Gangster, the polish works against it, unfortunately. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. it's just so like it's just everything is so well done. It's, it's too smooth. It's so fucking smooth. And yeah. it's like and I love all the people in the cast for the like i think it's a well cast film but it's almost like god i can't believe i'm saying this but i almost think that like yeah it probably would have benefited like denzel washington and russell crowe at least in the iterations they are in this film are almost a little too smooth for the roles they're portraying maybe mm-hmm. i don't know like but maybe then again uh, ridley's not going to get a uh, hundred million dollar budget he doesn't cast stars. Yeah, no, it's a total catchway too. It's not like he can do like you know, and I and I get it. Like you don't want to do like uncut gems and like get like the weirdest guy, and, and you, you don't want to get like Buddy DeRest to play uh, like you but know, it's, it's be, you know, you're not going to send Denzel Washington to the jungle. Yeah, for a sojourn, you're not going to have like 130 speaking roles. It's going to be a much which this you know, damned if you do, it, damned if you don't. But Francis Ford Coppola did in Godfather. You know, yeah. Scorsese didn't good fellas. Well, I that's mean, because they they had a familiarity with the subject I, I matter. I think at the end know? of the day, I think you needed a New York filmmaker. Yeah, you needed dude. And you said this earlier. Say the guy who should have done it. Well, there's a few, but Spike Lee. Yes, yeah, the um, yeah the the obvious choice. And I guarantee you, I told I mentioned this to Patrick before we started. If Spike Lee had directed this movie with this script, with this cast, with this budget. Spike Lee wins Best Director of the Academy Awards. It would have been his godfather. Like, yeah. it would have been his, yeah. like, epic, like, insane, like, you know, his huge yeah. remembered get a, film. Get a couple of glasses of Merlot in him. He'd probably tell you that too. Yeah. <laughs> think how much, just think how much more insane Russell Crowe's character would have been. Like, yeah. I mean, he... it was already, like, and I think Russell brought a lot, Russell brings so much to it. I was, you know, I'm, these last few weeks, I'm such a Russell Crowe fan. Oh, I'm a Crow. I love Crow. Yeah. I, 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 and, I, and his performance as Hoffman, I think, is one of the all time, one of the most Bad underrated. Guys. We'll talk about it. Yeah, He's a we'll great talk about baddie. It in just a moment. So, um, American Gangster premiered finally October 20th of 2007 at the Apollo mm-hmm. Theater in Harlem. Over two mm-hmm. weeks before the release of American Gangster, a screener was leaked online. Oh, no. <laughs> I wonder, I'm trying to remember if the, my friend downloaded it and tried to convince me to watch it before we saw it. I was like, no way, I've seen it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen those. I wouldn't download a DVD. Yeah, yeah. I, well, we'll talk, we could talk about that before um, Body of Lies, based on the DVD that I told you I watched. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, opening weekend in the U.S., Canada grossed uh, estimated $43.6 million, placing it first. Uh, biggest opening weekend out of any film in both Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe's career to that point. Wow. Um, 
continued to do quite well, finished its box office run in North America at 130 million. Mm. Uh, some more success overseas. For final total, it made 266.5 million dollars. That's not bad. Not too shabby. We did very well. This movie's a hit. Mm-hmm. Everyone wanted to see it. You were around, yeah. and if you were around in a movie-going age, you wanted to see this movie. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> it's like the director of Gladiator. It's the act. Like it's Denzel Washington playing like a big old gangster. Like it's you're Russell Crowe. See- it's like yeah. It's like yeah. You want to see this movie? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> critical response: eighty-one percent. On Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the consensus reads, American Gangster is a gritty, entertaining throwback to classic gangster films with its lead performers firing on all cylinders. Uh, I don't think it's gritty. I actually don't think it's a gritty movie. Oh. Not too much polish. Too much polish. Ebert gave it four stars. Mm. He said, uh, this is an engrossing story. Sm- told smoothly and well. <laughs> and he loved <laughs> Russell Crowe in it. Um, the... Um, some of the negative reviews. Um, Jonathan Crocker of Time Out London uh, wrote, Scott's meticulous aesthetics can't touch the urban texture and deep focus of French connection, the Godfather Serpico and Prince of the City, all looming heavily in intertextual knots. Correct Mundo. Um, <laughs> Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly gave it a C minus saying it's never dull, but it could have used more good old fashioned melodramatic intrigue. I actually mm-hmm. like a little more melodrama in this movie. I think that would have been nice. Um, Nick Shager of Slant Magazine. Nick Shager is, was one of my favorite critics in this era. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't know him. Very good critic. I think he's at uh, Daily Beast now. All right. I think yeah. so. Uh, he gave it one star. Ooh, Nicky. He remarked that the film was dumb as a rock, and it was far too convinced of its own import to be any fun. Uh, that's kind of a mean fun review. Mean. Yeah, that's good. Um, a little damning. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, just overall, I again, I think even the good reviews, they really just they wanted a Godfather. They really, really wanted another Godfather. <laughs> I mean, this is like uh, the same as when Godfather Three got nominated for Best Picture. Gotcha. Um, people really wanted Godfather Three to be good. You know? Yeah, they were really. It's a bummer. I think like it is like an example of like people thinking this. Like they go out of it, and it's like, well, it wasn't like bad. Yeah. And kind of giving it like, yeah, like it's tough, and then. You know, and at the end of the day, too, 81, that's a B minus. That, that feels right. Like, yeah. that, like technically competent, lacking that, like, soul. Lacking the humor, as you said earlier, too. Just, like, not a, yeah, just a, a painfully unfunny feel. Like, the only yeah. humor kind of comes from, like, very, very minor moments. And it had massive hype. Everyone was like, this is it. And we are already, because we said he's heading towards 70 years old. This is, we have, we are knee deep in the... And this will be an ongoing concern, sure, and remains one. Is it Ridley? Is Ridley Scott due for mm. a Best Director Academy Award? This is a, the one among the first times this I, you start hearing this, and folks, get ready because it's happening this year 
in a big, big way with Napoleon. Oh man! <laughs> well, like, this is, hey, there's this another. This is going to the... be one of these stories, but there's another young man. Yeah. Who is hanging around? You know, oh. we lo- and we know, you know, we love him. Oh. <laughs> the, the drama this year, the drama, the drama. Oh, and I'm sure all everyone on Twitter is gonna love best director coming down to two eighty plus year old white men. Yeah. Yeah. The battle of hey, well, you know, That's there's another it. young there's another young buck that might be in the running too. Watch a young a young buck at the spry age of what, fifty-seven? Or like isn't uh isn't the a certain uh, a certain director we were covering a certain film of his coming out this year? Oh, um David oh David Fincher? Yeah. David Fincher's back. He's he's sixty, dude. He's like sixty? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. A young buck of sixty. <laughs> I thought you were talking about <laughs> apparently um Alexander Payne is going to be back in a big way this year too. God, well, he's probably sixty also. He's sixty Jeez. as well, yeah. They're so, all fucking skeletons. Oh, Christopher Nolan at the spry um fifty-three will be will be the young God. man in the mix with Oppenheimer. What American Gangster was only nominated for two Academy mm-hmm. Awards. Like the aforementioned Best Supporting Actress for Ruby D and Best Art Direction for Arthur Max and Beth A. Ruby, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. One did not win either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, Scott had already moved on mm-hmm. by this point uh, because Wall on the set of American Gangsters, he, American Gangster, there's singular, not plural, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he received the galleys of a, of a little spy novel. <laughs> this book was originally entitled Penetration. A decidedly not mainstream Hollywood title for a movie. So that needed yeah. to be adjusted quite quickly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a movie. Lot, that, uh... A lot of confused moviegoers going yes. on that one. <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> thought I was on Pornhub. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dope. Uh, by David Ignatius. And in our cold open, we were kind of making fun of these folks. He is an associate editor and columnist at the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, like went to Harvard. Clearly, Oof. if you're a conspiracy theorist, um, seems to stink of um, a s- a spook. <laughs> yeah, he probably has like shared nachos with David from at some point. Like ugh, he's ugh. an insider. He gets a lot of details on like Justice Department, CIA kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, war Bill Bill Crystal wishes he was him. Yeah, like you know that kind of like you know the question of like oh how did why did Deep Throat reach out to Robert Redford or would Bob Woodward? You know the president's man. He reached Bruce out to McCulloch. him. Because, yeah, he reached out to him because he was Bob Woodward was a CIA agent too. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, hey, Dad, be careful with that. Dad, be careful. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. All, all this is allegedly. <laughs> pardon me, pardon me. No, we love, we love the Woodman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. The, the Wood fan. guy. The Wood will... fan. But uh, the number one Woodward appreciator, like many. Many of these kind of guys also mm-hmm. is like a like a wannabe failed novelist. He's God. written eleven books, uh, <sighs> and Penetration is probably his most known book. Penetration, if you want to look for it on bookshelves now, has actually been retitled Body of Lies, which is not a great title either. 
It's very vague, but it's still better than penetration. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that, like, a, a country mile. Uh, I, I do want to find a copy that now makes me want to find, like, an OG copy of Body of Lies. I want to find the penetration cut. I wanna... So, <laughs> Body of Lies, um, mm-hmm. book crosses Ridley's desk. Ridley is interested in doing a kind of gritty spy type movie. He'd never done a spy movie before. Uh, mm. Mind you, his brother Tony had already made, I think had already made at this point, Spy Game. Mm. In addition, oh yeah, Spy Game was 2001, and in addition to Enemy of the State, which also mm. kind of fits some of these bills. And this one, um, a lot of uh, surveillance footage, a lot of watching computer monitors. I couldn't help but think of Tony while watching this picture yeah although um, it, yeah it does also harken back to uh uh another previous ridley uh uh his uh his uh, uh somali epic oh yes the uh, um god i can't uh, <laughs> black hawk Red- black hawk down black hawk down a movie black that hawk has down. already left my brain <laughs> yeah and, and um Oh, we should note too. Um, basically, Black Hawk Down also changed Ridley Scott's filmmaking style because he learned he could move faster if he runs like seven cameras at a time, which is something Tony does as what well, did as well. Which Tony <laughs> did. Tony did it because he was a maximalist lunatic and the best, yeah. and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, Ridley, oh, does and I... it, Ridley does it so he can make a movie as gigantic as Body of Lies within nine months of. A movie is gigantic as American Gangster. Okay, I will say there is one moment in like the, because uh, I watched the commentary for Body of Lies too. There is one moment in the commentary where Ridley Scott is kind of like, yeah, I can like I learned how to shoot like just as hard as the like he basically like equates himself to the troops <laughs> when he's like comparing himself to like his like his <laughs> like all the stuff I've gone through. It's basically just like being in the military. <laughs> that sounds yeah, that sounds about right. So great. <laughs> but he gets that um instead of American Gangster, he's like, I want to do this. Next, uh mm-hmm. they bring in William Monahan to write this adaptation. William Monahan, of course, wrote Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. And was already involved in writing this script at the simultaneous time period as he was on set for the departed, which Ooh. he wrote as well bring this idea to the attention of Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio is the star of this movie. And Leo is definitely in this phase of his career right now where he is desperately trying to not look like the boyish heartthrob from Titanic. And he's yeah. do, trying to prove at all levels that he is a man. He's <laughs> a big boy. An adult. An adult serious actor so this one he's dyed his hair he's got the full like beard he like me cannot grow sideburns you know as hard as we try um, tragic he apparently wore darker contact lenses too mm. um so and he was interested in this he thought it and then of course um like all actors it seems he wanted to work with ridley scott who immediately jumped on this one Really, checked checked a lot of boxes. Really, he was the current events stuff, the spy stuff, and he got to shoot in his beloved Morocco once again. Yeah, he uh, loves robots. He loves it. So the basic, uh, and he felt it was a um, a modern Jean le Carré type script. 
or story. I got gotcha. you. Here's my pitch, Ridley. Why don't you just adapt one of his books? You'd probably yeah. do a good job at it. <laughs> Tinker with a tailor soldier I, spy. You like that kind of stuffy British spy shit? That's you. That is that's yeah. you. Ridley. Stuffy like, pro- professionalism at all costs. That's Ridley to a T. Cold hearted bastards stabbing each other in the back for the sake of entertainment? Yes. In between like stogie breaks? And tea? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And tons and tons of tea. Oh god. Yeah. Um, that's that's his bread and butter. Why didn't he st- not do that? Stifled sexuality? It's all there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um but he didn't. He went with David Ignatius's like airport book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's call it like it is. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, it's sitting right next to Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In two thousand seven, one hundred percent, it was. Um, oh sure. So, but it was checked a bunch of boxes. So the basic storyline is Leonardo DiCaprio plays the interestingly named Roger Ferris. Interesting character name. Yeah. Uh, who is a CIA uh, case officer in the Middle East who is on the hunt for a high-ranking terrorist uh, named Al-Salim. Mm. Um, his handler back in the United States is, and boss is Ed Hoffman, played by a um, played by Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe oh. returned. Russell Crowe heard about this from Ridley on the set of American Gangster and was in. Um, this one, Russell Crowe gets to go full Wigand. He gained yes. 50, he gained fifty pounds. He wore he wore like a gray hair wig, glasses, and basically he is like it's it's a it's a phenomenal, truly American character because he's calling in bombings and shootings while like picking up his kids from soccer practice because he's always just like he and DiCaprio barely share any scenes and he's on the phone all the time. He'll be like, yeah, eating like he'll be like making a peanut butter and banana slice sandwich and while like, like orchestrating the, terrorist attacks in Iraq. About like compartmentalizing and multitasking between being completely annoyed by his family and being completely annoyed that Leonardo DiCaprio has a smidge of doubts about this terrible operation. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, whenever like he's seeing anything on screen, treating it with the emotional uh you know, import of a game of Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, it is a phenomenal performance. Okay, here's it's... a good <laughs> yeah. he he crushes it. He like okay, so apparently on set, uh David's a uh, no, so David Ignatius, he like um was like called in by like Russell Crowe or whatever to talk about his character to discuss Ed Hoffman. And uh Russell Crowe asked him, so uh Dave, like where's uh Where's uh where's Ed Hoffman from? Where do you think where do you imagine him? And uh and Dave was like, you know, I never really thought about it before, but I kind of view him as like I see him as like coming from like uh Worcester or like uh you know, like a working class like Massachusetts yeah. town or whatever. And Russell Crowe was like, No, he's from Arkansas. <laughs> and I've been listening to like five hundred like I've been listening to Bill Clinton tapes nonstop to get his voice yeah. right. <laughs> and he does. He's incredible. The uh true level of the banality of evil in this character i don't know i can't think of many other characters that have reached these heights in a movie he's fascinating in a like a a mid middling film he is the the light 
Like, yeah. you kind of wish, like, the movie was... It's so weird because, like, you know, like, he's not ever, like, you know, maybe that's part of the charm of his character is he's never in the action. He's always, like, you know, yeah. on a toilet or, like... Because you know, he's getting... never in the action. He's, he is a true American leader. He he's will a keyboard never warrior. actually be in the action. He's a poster. He's like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a poster. Yeah. Yeah, he, he and he's definitely like writing articles in the Atlantic for the Lincoln Project now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He like yeah him. Yeah. He's like he's like the to- he's the token conservative uh, at fucking uh, John Favreau and John Lovett yeah. and all those guys that sound like Dana Carvey. Like, <laughs> uh, no, Ed Hoffman is alive and well and still successful. Yeah. It's like that's. Yeah, that's the scary yeah. thing about this yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he has a podcast it, with Jordan Klepper. Like, yeah. yeah, when we were watching it, like Jen was like, "How can he be like this?" And I was like, "Isn't he interesting? Like, he's so evil." Yeah, he's a goblin. He's a yeah. demon. It's 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 worth watching this movie, folks, mm-hmm. for this performance. It's absolutely fascinating, and it will make you a crowhead, just like Patrick and I. If I you aren't yeah. already, like, and he's so in it, and. You almost wish the entire movie had been about Ed Hoffman. Because, yeah, everything else is kind of sloppy. It is kind of sloppy because you kind of know what's going to happen with DiCaprio's character. Mm -hmm. He's our lead. He can't be as unlikable as Ed. Mm -mm. So he has to have, like, the change of heart. Yeah, the conscious moment. How do you make that dramatic? Well, in Ridley's idea, it turns into this also this like wild game of like spy versus spy. Because that's what mm-hmm. Ridley saw this movie as. He saw it as like a John le Carre, yeah. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy kind of movie. But he also tried to implant it on a situation that to this day remains dour, but even in 2008, nobody wanted to hear about. Which yeah. is, of course, the conflict in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, we've joked about it. There were so many movies. If you were not like regularly going to movies at this time, yeah, every week there was some like wars hell. We got a like anti Iraq war movie that came out, and to a T, they were just like. They're either Hurt Locker, which was exhilarating, but they were all kind of strangely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. incredibly humorless, Never for good really... reason. Yeah. And, like, so basically, like, you know, this came out, you know, you name it. Rendition in the Valley of Allah, Lions for Lambs, Oof. Stop Loss, um, Green Zone. Um, Hurt Locker was not successful at the box office. Mm-mm. No one wanted these movies, and yet they made a ton of them. Yeah, well, it's 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 like you know when people watch a war movie, they want clean cut propaganda, like typically. It's, like, but it's also going to be like, I guarantee, no one wants to watch a movie about COVID. No, no, one. no. one bit. Maybe like sucks. 30 years from now, maybe, maybe like 40 when it's like a fucking memory of a memory, but especially right now, fuck and off, I think never. This might go back to like the fact like 
Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and Coming Home and things like that were successful mm -hmm. near the conflict in Vietnam. Mm. So you think like, oh, we can do you know, a Jarhead or we can do a Green Zone and they'll be successful. And I think both Jarhead and Green Zone have good stuff yeah. in them. I like both those movies. Jarhead, Jarzone. The Jarzone. Welcome to the Jarzone. <laughs> this sounds like a conservative podcast. Welcome to the Jarzone. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Strackle in, strap in, kiddos. Strap in, hope you ate your pork chops. It's the jar zone. <laughs> I'm coughing mine out right now. I can't chew good. But it was, again, it's like that kind of, it. they all fall into this, like, Hollywood pat themselves on the back liberalism mm -hmm. that tends to be resoundingly rejected by, by the general movie going public, who no one in Hollywood realizes that because movies cost twenty dollars to go to, then you have to spend another twenty bucks on snacks if you're not going to dinner beforehand, which will probably a hundred dollars, depending on the parking situation. You've spent ten to twenty bucks on parking, and then a hundred buck, hundred bucks on your fucking babysitter. Um, thus, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, it is just like, you know, like I once gave like a lift ride to like a uh, a an ambulance driver. And this is a guy who, like, you know, his whole life is, like, saving other people's lives. Very stressful, I imagine. And we were just talking about movies. And he's like, oh, I'm a big movie head. I love movies. And his, like, his favorite movie was, like, just the Avengers movie. Like, the yeah. original Avengers. Like, And at the end of the day, it's just, like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he's... He, when you are spending 400 you know, $100 on everything and life is hell yeah it makes sense why you know i don't know it's tough i mean there's a, there, i think that you know obviously there should be all kinds of movies there should have yes! been anti there absolutely should be anti-iraq war movies it's just you have to know that there's going to be a ceiling to public interest and on like, that and this and one a tries to... this one tries it's best it does have leonardo dicaprio it does have russell crowe <laughs> like you know and one thing I noticed that made me a little queasy, the action scenes in this movie are really banging. Like that car chase, like where they're oh, shooting yeah. each other and stuff like that, and the helicopters are coming in. But that brings up that entire point. Like, can there be an anti-war movie when this kind of looks badass? Mm -hmm. Like, even though it isn't. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, and... it's so... really, really tough to make, I... to make these entertaining. It's why Bigelow's movie her locker the reason it works it plays like a fucking thriller and yeah. it doesn't hit you over the head you know with the frankly the politics yeah well Until and also the final sequence when he can't pick out some box of cereal yeah well and the thing yeah. too is that character is just a genuine like yeah by the end of the movie you realize Oh, that character is a lunatic. Like he... That's also good. Because like Roger Ferris, we don't know shit about. No, he's yeah. he's a no he's a, a void, he's a non-entity, which is crazy because he has he's... like a relationship and like all these things. <laughs> I thought you were gonna to say it's crazy because he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I mean a little bit of that too, I guess, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, like it should be better. He's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's the guy who gets the first <laughs> call on every script. You'd think he'd be a little more choosy. I know. Yeah, this is like, like I know mean, he did it because it's like Ridley Scott. Like, it's there, like on the surface. 
Yeah. Well, like it's with, like you know, like oh, with every, the... like with every really Scott movie, it's there on the surface. Yeah. Well, and like William Monaghan's part of it too, and that movie just won an Oscar, so you know yeah. that like they probably were like in the same circles or something. Yeah. Um. But in general, like, so it's just this battle of you know Ferris is conscious, going through very dangerous zones throughout the Middle East, coming up with these schemes that seem to pop up out of nowhere. Um. Great action sequences and a really nice supporting cast too. Who we'll get into now? Um, first and foremost, I think the the standout supporting cast member is Mark Strong, mm. who plays the role of Hani Salam, who is a Jordanian um, intelligence chief. Obviously, in today's day and age, the casting here, um, yeah, don't do would, it would be questioned. Yeah. But Mark Strong has got great charisma and the character is really well written so he really pops regardless of which for some people this might just be an ultimate red flag and you will not be able to get past it um, yeah. but he's very very good yeah well and it's it was interesting one thing that like David Ignatius brought up in the uh, commentary is that uh, the the Jordanian apparently like the Jordanian secret uh, service uh God, what's that? It's like the GID, the General Intelligence Directorate, I think is what it is. I'm just saying that off the top of my head. I'm probably horribly misconstruing that is apparently mm-hmm. like uh, like uh, really close allies to America. I never knew that before. And yeah. also take that with a grain of salt, because who knows what this fucker is saying and what value it has. Yeah. And William Monaghan, you know, we brought up, he like reads about the Crusades in Arabic. Mm-hmm. He's He's into this stuff. He's like, like a, an odd, yeah. He his, gets he his, has some opinions. He's into it, so <laughs> yeah, take yeah. that as you will. Mark, this was Mark Strong's kind of American film breakthrough. Mm-hmm. He's obviously, been a ton of stuff. I just saw him in Murder Mystery Part Two. Ooh, <laughs> that's you know what? He's having fun. He's getting a paycheck. Yeah. He's having a paycheck. Going to France with the Sandman. Who wouldn't want to do that? Oh, please. God, if you're listening, God, if you're a real dude in heaven with your big bushy beard, let Mark Strong be one of Sandman's guys. guys. Hey, let so, Mark Strong hang out with Peter Dante. Sandler, we've we've been on. A, I don't know if you've been following me on Letterboxd recently. We've been on a Sandler Ooh. run at our house. This is oh, we've been interesting each night because we've we've been had some we've had some stressful times lately yeah. in the house. A lot of ups and downs. We have settled down. With a Sandler movie every night, like the last mm-hmm. week and a half. Uh, took a look at The Waterboy last night. Mm-hmm. Um, they're delightful. And if you're in a poor mood, reach out to the Sand. We watched Little Nicky. We had a blast. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like I texted everybody a... my DVD copy that I, I was like, we're watching <laughs> this tonight. <laughs> like, like, hell yeah. But um, I don't uh... think that there is a person in the world who has a more enviable life and career to me than Adam Sandler. Oh man. If I could, if I could, uh, God, if you're listening again, if I could switch minds with someone for a day, let it be the Sandman. He like <laughs> gets to work all of his jobs with his friends and family by being funny. He Right, he works and writes and owns his company with his college friends and family. His jobs are he basically gets to just... go on tour for comedy shows with just his buddies. 
he seems to have a deeply healthy and happy relationship with his wife and his two kids. He is obscenely rich. Like, off of all of this, his success comes directly from working with his friends and family on stuff that simply makes him and his friends and family laugh. People that have joined his friend group over time include Shaquille O'Neal and Steve Buscemi. Oh, think about that. The spectrum of his buddy. And have you ever heard any of the people he's worked with say a bad thing about him? No. They all think he's a fucking delight. And he's loyal. And he seems like, you know, like... He's an inspiration. That's what I'm saying. He getting. like uh, ridiculous. So when Ridiculous Six was filming, it filmed in uh, New Mexico when I was in college at Santa Fe, and uh, he like like would uh, sometimes like do ba- play basketball at my college's, um, uh, you know, gym or whatever. And he like took pictures with all the like staff, like all the like all the like the like the janitorial staff or whatever cool he's a mensch he's a good guy yeah like he would he took time out of his day to take pictures with like every single like you know guy who was like working the yard that day at st john's so he's dude's the best, a, dude he's the best guy king. he's the best yeah. guy he's and then king. his jobs are like vacations like that rules. And, oh like, yeah that's yeah yeah that, <laughs> there there it is also that's where i was getting started with him taking mark strong to paris like because like, yeah yeah like all of them are these great locations that he just gets to hang out with his friends like at the beach and shit it's it's like hmm, where will our next movie be at uh the where do you guys want to go hawaii again sure <laughs> yeah, you know why not yeah trinidad yeah, tobago uh, don't mind yeah. if i do yeah good for him that's the American dream, not Ed Hoffman's American dream. Adam Sandler's Ooh. American dream. Eating, eating sushi off of a rolling luggage like a ghoul. Well, bombing assholes. Yeah, Jesus. the devil, the actual um, devil. Uh, playing the role of Aisha, a nurse in Amon, who becomes Roger's love interest is um, Golfidashev uh, Farhani. Ooh. Now, um, I recognized her immediately from... Dawn favorite Patterson, the Jim Jarmusch movie. She's Adam Driver's wife in that movie. <laughs> Starring the Patterson? Patterson, the titular Patterson. One of my <laughs> one of my actual, not a joke, favorite movies. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I gotta watch Pat. I need to get on the I need to get Patterson pill. I need to get on love this trend. Patterson. And this is interesting and really wild. Um her performance in this movie resulted her in getting tro- she's Iranian. And um, she got in trouble because she's with does not wear her job in this oh, movie. No. And since then, she has actually left the country entirely and lives in France now. Dang. And uh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, yeah. 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 a lot of a lot of similar stories uh, coming from the Iranian film, and it's yeah, rough. It's yeah. hard, hard to it's be an artist good. there. Not good. Yeah. yeah, very difficult to be an artist and frankly be a human being. Um, also in the picture, Oscar Isaac is in the film, playing the role of Bassam, uh, CIA field operative and uh, Ferris's associate. I really thought he and Leo had a good vibe together. And they I were... want to see them get up to more antics together, but unfortunately, spoiler here, Bassam is eliminated relatively early. In the yeah, movie. he goes out the he goes the Ajad Ortiz route pretty quickly. But uh, also gets one of the more gruesome postscripts when leo's pulling Ooh. his bones out of his own arm yeah that was 
See, the, the, they're... And the doctor goes, don't worry, they're not yours, which is um, something no one wants to hear at the doctor's office. Yeah, it's the same thing with American Gangster. Like, there's enough. It's just it's such a bummer that there are so many moments that like pop like that. Well, this movie just, is just... particularly dour, though. Uh, it is like, yeah, there's not like it's really like. I mean, it just kind of goes from here, like because no one can be trusted. Everyone has got this really grim, dark side. Ferris, you can't really pin down if he's like where he's at with his conscience in this movie ever. Leo yeah. plays a little close to the vest. I mean, he's still great. He's still Leo, but he's a little. It, it's not. I don't. Even, I think it's underwritten. I think his I character think, well, and think... the rest of, for a script that is entirely overwritten. His character is actually underwritten. Well, I think like the thing too is like. Like the script, it should be like a he should have like a are we the baddies moment, and it feels like we never get that like you know I feel yeah. like he never gets that wreck. It's like soul. Well, I think it's reckoning because it was these movies. There was no like the subtlety in these this era of movie mm-hmm. was almost impossible. Mm. You know, and um, because you either he's a moralist who was like no this is bad or he's bad. Right. Like, and they try to toe the line and the both are like not satisfying. No, like, like, you know, like it is like, I hate to say it, but like everything, you know, everything that the terrorists are doing is odious beyond odious. But then there's also, how did we get here? What instigated this? Are we like, you know, it just, there's no, and is our response odious and is their response because of, shit we initially did exactly yeah like there's just the nuance is just out the fucking window and with this it's film so hard to like get this right and i don't think because ridley scott is not a nuance man mm-hmm. to begin with his movies you know are a lot of things but like artistic subtlety is not really his bag except yeah for, except for blade runner Mm. And mm. this all comes mm. back to this, dude. I really think I'm onto something here. I think you might. Yeah, I feel like the more you like, I feel like because Blade Runner was like, it feels like the last movie he made that really did like toe the line on like you know a true artistic he, statement. Yeah, that was well, per, that was personal in his own. Well, and also like the fi- last movie he's done, to my knowledge, that feels like wholly like. Kind of like yeah, it's it's a personal statement, wholly organic, very and like singular, you know, singular. No one else could have done it. It's it, it's kind of like how like Spielberg, as he's gotten older, has like veered away from like sci-fi stuff, and now like primarily is just stuck in like you know weird historical, like <laughs> yeah. which which is like worked for the most part, like you know and you Aww. know hey yeah, end up Fablemans is great yeah, but yeah, but like uh, but then it's also like you kind of miss like. Yeah, whatever happened to the Steelberg that made ET? You're like, yeah. you know, like that sort of, like that sort of, and like, you know, like he kind of like teased, like he made Ready Player One, which is so fucking weird. That is like an insane. Well, I think um, his entire, I mean, Spielberg's thing is that he was so early on in his career considered lightweight. Mm-hmm. Considered like, you know, oh, he's of the same generation as Marty and Francis and Brian D 
all those guys, but he's a lot. He, yeah. he makes he makes kids movies. They make adult movies. They make yeah. the Academy movie. And Spielberg's like, I I'm a mature artist too, and he's still. I think there's still a part of him, despite the fact that everyone, I think, does and or if they don't, should totally believe he's a serious artist. Yeah. Um. He still has that chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I think he's never gonna like. Yeah, he's like. It's uh, it is like yeah, like the whimsy got beat yeah. out of him in the same way that like the the risk got beat out of Ridley. You are onto something. I think you're yeah. right there. It is well, like I think you get you get a little spook- you get a little spooked when you're rejected mm-hmm. when you work that hard. Yeah, you, you get a little God. spooked. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's happened to many many a filmmaker. Like it's just mm-hmm. you know they want you know they want to work. They want to keep mm-hmm. making stuff. So. Mm-hmm. One other thing to take into account with Ridley Scott that I think we talked about on um, the Black Hawk Down episode. When he decides on what thing he wants to make the movie about, mm-hmm. he does not care about any other thing. So like, Black Hawk Down was like, this operation, I don't really care about the soci- the political and geopolitical complications of what was going on here. Yeah. I just want this. With this yeah. one, he just wants to spy versus spy them. Yes, he is like a hundred percent does not even whatever the implications, whatever the political climate, he is just like same deal the bare bones story. Same deal with Kingdom of Heaven. The same yep. deal. And Man. I think he's done that many a times, sometimes to his benefit, because I think that a filmmaker wants to avoid especially in Ridley Scott's position as a commercial filmmaker, too many digressions. Too many loose ends. Yeah, too many like moments of like, uh, like overly didactic expository dialogue. Yeah, you know, yeah. detailing every like political nuance of the situation at hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he wants to keep things moving. Yeah, um, yeah, and so, but which is odd in this film because this movie, due to its like spy versus spy elements, like the timing of some of the plot twists and timing of some of the additions mm-hmm. to the story are very weird the way the love interest is like brought in about midway mm-hmm. the movie and then the big thing is so they are trying to basically get this al salim character to come out of hiding show their face so they can track them mm-hmm. or get on the phone that would probably be the best way to do it so they come up with this like scheme to create another terrorist organization complete mm-hmm. with like members who do not know they are members of this like poor rubes really who they're using who they don't know they're being used they blow up an empty base to make it seem like they didn't attack all to get this out here's and this comes way late in the movie but it's fast it's like an interesting idea this scheme that probably could have been an entire movie in its own right. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's like it's the scope of it is crazy. But the issue, the biggest issue I have with it is that once it starts to like get real, and some of the pawns that they used become endangered because of it, then Ferris is like, "Wait, wait, wait! I didn't know." And it's like, "Dude, this was your idea. You work." as a high-level agent at the CIA, if you did not know that you were putting these people in danger by using them as pawns for your insane scheme, 
you were in the long wrong line of work and you are also an idiot. Yeah, are you like that much of a fucking rube? Like, did you not go through what happened in the first twenty minutes of the movie? Like, were you sleeping when that poor guy was? Uh, that you, unfortunately, you know, spoiler alert, you know, got there was killed. A, yeah, got killed. That yeah. you killed because he was going to get tortured if he got caught, which he got caught because of you, because of Hoffman. Like, yeah, it is just a. Uh, it's yeah. unreal. It's and it's unearned. It doesn't feel like you don't get to have that sort of revelation having gone through what that character's already gone through. And I think that that brings up it. Ferris is dumb. And <laughs> coconut bread. Which is, but it's interesting because that usually your leading character, especially when they're played by one of the five biggest stars in the entire world, like Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. don't play dumb people. Like, you know, no, like, no way. Russell Crowe doesn't play dumb yeah. people. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, unless it's on purpose, doesn't play dumb people. Yeah, this time it might have been an accidental. And this is like an accidental thing because they're trying for all this spy versus spy stuff. But every time he gets tricked, it makes him look like an idiot. Ugh. He doesn't trick anyone. What? Thus, going back to spy game, Robert Redford tricks people. That's mm. what makes him great at it. Like Ferris does not even feel like a very good CIA agent. He gets people no. killed all the time. Like, you know, and maybe yeah. that's realistic. Maybe that's yeah. frankly actually realistic, but it does not make for a particularly entertaining character. Well, and like Hoffman's interesting because he's like the other side of like the Robert Redford competency coin, where yeah. like he's like a stupid, he feels like a stupid Hoffman, uh, uh, you know, Redford because he's just constantly like getting his like assets killed left and right. I gotta Seemingly say that too. Um, Brad Pitt was dumb in Spy Game. Yeah, he did yeah, a stupid same. thing for love in that one. Yeah, yeah, same kind of deal. To be perfectly yeah. honest, these are very similar. Again, I apologize. I thought this was gonna play really well to make a American Gangster, but we should have done Body of Lies with uh, Spy Game. That would have been a oh man, a, lo- a lovely double feature pairing. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's okay with American Gangster because it's just remarkable how he turn these two around so fast it it's impressive like you can't take that away from ridley that like both these movies are pretty large in scope and like involve a lot of like you know you're filming in multiple locations with like multiple moving parts it's it's wild yeah and so basically um you know i guess dicaprio did see this movie as kind of a throwback to parallax view or Three Days of the Condor, movies we've talked about many times, because it seems like everyone is chasing those movies and mm. can't, and like, I don't know what it was about the 70s where you could actually, like, pull off those kind of conspiratorial mm. films felt so fresh, well. maybe? I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how, like, yeah, I don't know what it is about our sensibilities that doesn't allow us, uh, well, it's kind of like the same. I feel like just certain eras have certain genres that work best. It's like how you can't make movies like Gross Point Blank anymore. That's such a yeah. like '90s era film. You can't like that. That vibe just cannot be emulated in this day and age. Yeah, and I mean we miss it, but it's like, you know, to go into next week's episode a little bit. We we watched the trailer for Robin Hood on mm. Amazon this evening because Jen and I were like, don't even remember like remember Robin Hood. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're like, what? And because I had to look up Robin Hood, it gave us um, all the Robin Hoods that are available. And it was just like, 
there was this new one that came out with Rock that Rocket Man and Jamie Foxx were in a few years ago. And it looks like a fucking video game. But then you watch this Russell Crowe one and it looks like a really Scott movie, like from the Gladiator era. But then you watch the Kevin Costner trailer and it's 90s as shit. (laughs) And it's just like, it's just like, it's so interesting how these things change. And like, there's like a smarter person than I should write about like how visuals like attractive visuals change with eras and how do they change and why are certain visuals attractive to us now that weren't attractive in like 1995 or vice Mm -hmm. versa why were these visuals in 1995 really really attractive and now when people see them they're not attractive Right. Something like that. Like, I don't know what that means. I think it's fascinating. There is, like, yeah. If we have a listener out there who knows of a good book on this topic, send us send us a link. I want to check this book out. Or send us an email. Or send us an email. We'll get to the email soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eventually in an hour or so. (laughs) But yeah, it kind of like goes along with that. And just like this, how these movies, we were just talking about all these like the Bush Iraq War era movies all feel like exactly the fucking same like they oh yeah just like despite different filmmakers different talents involved all these kind of things and yet all of them yeah they are all trying to be you know deer hunter or apocalypse now or three days of the condor or the parallax view or all of these they just they can't like the just like yeah for whatever reason it just doesn't work you just can't do it like and there there are movies how the visual language has evolved Mm mm-hmm it's like either too like it's too futurist or looking back too much and finding that happy sweet spot is tough. I'm trying to think of like movies that have successfully emulate emulated those vibes. Like maybe like uh inherent vice has like yeah gotten close, but even inherent that's vice. not even, yeah. But I think like um I think you have to be like Paul Thomas Anderson and really not care. Yeah, any trend that is around you, which is more difficult than ever now. Almost, yeah. You have to be like, frankly, arrogant in a good way to pull it off. Like I would say, Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, probably first and foremost on that list of people who, or Wes Anderson too, who don't give a shit. You got to be like uh, Jenna Ortega on the set of Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. It was like she decided to become an executive producer and straight up started rewriting her lines because she said they sucked. Yeah. And it's kinda just rules. I was kind of like, yeah, there's still this, this. I'm glad this still exists. But it's all fear based. And I think the beautiful thing about somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson is that he appears to be completely fearless. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, he he has the perfect life, and he's married to like the daughter of yeah. Mina Ripperton, Minnie Ripperton. So yeah. like, <laughs> yes, deathly successful, super funny, beautiful, you name it. Like has a million kids. Like yeah, yeah they've, they've they're 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 doing just fine. But it's like you have to like I think you have to think that way. You have to think outside the box, and you have to be able to like fight for it uh... because otherwise. You're the fucking Russo brothers saying that Captain America the Winter Soldier is like the Parallax View. Ugh. It's not. No. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. You're you're like the Russo brothers where you're making movies that seem to have the express purpose of selling shit on Amazon. Like mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, movies where like the the main character's dress, if you like pause the film, 
Well, she's like, you know, it's on that character. Uh, Amazon has a little blurb where they're like, do oh, you want to buy this character's dress? It's only $700. Like, uh, <sighs> like it's just... Uh, I feel like makes you feel, but which is something Ridley Scott would not do. No, commerce and capital is uh, crazy right now, and he 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 knows where church and state are separated. Thank God. And you and you have to like, if you're gonna be a creative person, mm-hmm. you can't. People have gotten way too comfortable with words like brands and content selling out. They're and fine yes, with it. They're 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 perfectly fine with selling out and. You have to have a line that you will not cross, man. <laughs> like, or at least, like, feel a little scummy. Be a little fucking... Im- there was a reason well, why... Well, because also we're in this stage where you've never done it. I've never done anything wrong, and I will defend myself to bitter end. Like, you know, you can't... I would prefer for the Russos to come out and say, yeah, we're doing this because we're getting paid really well. Yeah. Than I would for them to consistently kind of defend. And, like... Always, yeah, always be on the fence, and because it's the whole like the Trump thing of like never admit weakness, never admit defeat, always fight back. You're always right. Has infiltrated everyone, <laughs> like whether you are conservative or a liberal or a leftist or a fascist. Um, it's just we're all brain poisoned. He did that. It might be his worst crime. Is that he, he created? He made everyone correct in their minds and morally uh, sound all the time. I feel and, so sick. And <laughs> I no, feel so bad. No, this will prevent any level of collective <laughs> agreement. <laughs> because, because, yeah, because like that's where we stand, which makes you admire. Really, Scott, because he does not give a shit about any of this. Uh, <laughs> just I'm like a broken. This is broken. I'm yeah, sorry. Feel... <laughs> that was dark. It was <laughs> it's dark. True. You're right, though. It's true. It's just. It's true. It's we're. Ugh. Ugh. It's a constant battle, and you pick your teams. I mean, all these ugh. like I'm team so and so. I'm team so. Who gives a flying fuck? Yeah. Like I like movies. I'm team movies. Yeah, and I want more movies. I want more different movies. I want a movie like Body of Lies to be like, wow, that was weird. Wow, that could have been better. Yeah, but I still like. Wow, Russell Crowe's great. Like, yeah, there's still moments. There's at least moments. There's a, there's at least someone trying something. Yeah, and we don't all have to be critics. We don't all have to like. We don't all like. Sometimes your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah, God, ours ours certainly doesn't. I hope you're listening this far in to hear us say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, come on. Like, it is just like, yeah, I do think like maybe Twitter should be like, just just unplug it, Elon. Don't you like, aren't you tired of everyone making fun of you all the time? Just like because he's always right. It's the same fucking deal. uh, That's true. He it's It's like the same deal. He's got it set up so it's like a nice little echo chamber for him and his yeah. little slugs. Ugh. Yeah. And life is so short. Yeah. And there are so many beautiful things out there. And I know that times are really rough. Yeah. Uh, to like give up any mental space to this bullshit is just poisoning everything further. 
Yeah, cockamamie. Cockamamie, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not just, good. It's not uh, good. Yeah, yeah just Ed, like, Ed, yeah. Ed Hoffman won. Like, he did. God, yeah. he let that asshole who's like eating sushi on a toilet somewhere as he's orchestrating uh, <laughs> like yeah. uh, like his latest war crime. So God. to get back to it, though, like I'm, I'm not going to spoil it all. You can watch this all for yourself to enjoy the twists and turns of the spy games that are mm-hmm. happening in this. It's ultra. Co- it, it, it makes spy game make perfect sense. Like it's very convoluted. It was very hard to follow at times, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most part. Um, I didn't re- uh, contrasting this with American Gangster. I told you I'd watched this once before. I barely remembered a moment of this movie. It was uh, from the yeah, first I, time I saw it, like fifteen years ago. God, I'll tell um, cl- in a classic uh, Academy Academy blunder. Last week I accidentally watched these movies like a week in advance, and. By the time I I had to re I had to rewatch like uh had to rewatch Body of Lies just because like I just I straight up like forgot like it's not a memorable movie it's hard it doesn't stick in the brain that well yeah uh, it, for all the talent involved for Russell Crowe's really like meaty performance mm-hmm. there's just some uh just doesn't get there no. just doesn't get all the way there and. You know, it's. I think though, it's absolutely worth it for Russell Crowe and Mark Strong's performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a Ridley completist, like we are, yeah. Um, there's like, there's like interesting moments. Like it's not all like yeah. terrible, but it is we, just like, yeah. We should note the team here beyond the people we've already mentioned. Um, cinematographer is Alexander Witt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Witt worked on the cruise for a bunch of um like second unit stuff and mm-hmm. the camera team for a bunch of Ridley films including Black Rain, Hannibal, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down and this was his first director of photography credit that he had um that he received uh full blown DOP uh, in this film, which is kind of uh, good for him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> big shoot. Um, and uh, the um, editor is again Pietro Scalia, music again by Mark Straitenfeld. Mm. Uh, this one was interesting, and I did, did actually remember that um, <laughs> one of the big reasons I was interested in Body of Laws is that the first song that plays in the end credits is a song entitled If the World, performed by Guns N' Roses. Oh my Chinese God. Democracy, which if you are a rock and roll fan of a certain age, was this infamous phantom was it ever going to happen album. It was net, and it was just like the the. It drove the Chuck Klostermans of the world completely insane. The thought of <laughs> Chinese democracy being a thing, and, and you know, when I was working at the record store, people it was always talked about. Mm-hmm. Always like, yeah, what do you think it is? <laughs> and then around this time, around two thousand eight, it was announced it was actually happening. It was coming out, and we were dying for any taste 
of new GNR. Mm. Uh, there was a Guns N' Roses song that was on the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie End of Days that predated this one. But this one, everyone's like, this song is going to be on Chinese Democracy, but it's going to come out on Body of Lies first. Mm. So I wanted to see Body of Lies just so I could get this Guns N' Roses song. Yeah, see, like how, uh, like how Buckethead sounds as a member of the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, place the beginning of the credits. It's a wild song. I, I don't hate Chinese Democracy. I know it, Chinese Democracy is like law like American gangster. It was like nobody wanted to admit that it was just okay. <laughs> but you know, after all that time, a little sadder with Chinese Democracy because like that's way like, sadder because it was like twenty years in the making. Yeah, that uh, is that is tough. That is a legendary like never album. And then there is a absolutely wild song called Bird's Eye that follows the Guns N' Roses song in the credits. That's Mark Streitenfeld wrote and composed, but it is sung in a duet by Mike Patton of Faith No More and many, many a projects oh, and man. Serge Tanikin of um, System oh, of a Death. Man, sewed, yeah. And so uh, maybe you'll hear one of those at the end of this episode, but it's wild. Worth checking out both those tunes. Um, Body of Lies was released October 10th of 2008. Mm-hmm. Less than a year after American Gangster, an extraordinary achievement by any means. But sometimes, you know, Stanley Kubrick once said, when we asked about his minimal output, you don't think you want to make more movies? Of course I wanted to make more movies. It just takes time. Mm. Now, we can all, some people can be Robert Pollard. Some people can be Axl Rose. And, you know, output yeah. changes based on the artist. Yeah. But I do think a little marination time on mm. some of these things doesn't necessarily hurt your cause. And depending on what it is you're making. If you're making mumblecore movies or Hong Sang Su movies, the speed, the real-time speed of them actually adds to their charm and artistic mm-hmm. levels. If you're making big budget blockbusters that demand to be slick and really well crafted, sometimes this time frame, this script could use some more drafts. Probably, yeah, gonna use another, another, another uh, go through the meat grinder for sure. I think Leo, as he's aged and done more and gotten even more power too, has gotten better at. I think he really identifies one thing I really like about him, whether it's inception or shutter island or once upon a time in hollywood he finds a human emotional element Mm -hmm. to lock you in to the kind of chaos the character is going through even the one the adam mckay one i thought he was phenomenal in that because he he found a like after all the craziness that's going around it was really about a guy who just wanted his wife to forgive him because he fucked up yeah and like i know on inception there's this big story that like basically nolan wrote the script gave it to dicaprio and dicaprio was like i love it i think this is such a great idea but i really really think we need to rewrite and um give a hell of a lot more to his relationship with marion cotillard's character in those flashbacks and why he cares about her and that's what puts inception over the top for me is there's that emotional linchpin Right. Now, the Dutch actress Carice Van Houten, who is in that um, 
Paul Verhoeven movie Black Book. I don't know if you ever saw that one. That's a good oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think she was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, she was a uh, She was cast as Ferris's wife, who was divorcing him back home, but all of her scenes were deleted and left on the cutting room floor. Who knows if there was more to that that would have humanized Ferris a little bit more. Clearly, though, they had high hopes for this movie. Came out on October 10th. That's Oscar time. Mm -hmm. Uh, This movie, though, was not recognized by that golden man and received no Oscar (laughs) noms. Got a shrug from the little gold guy. (laughs) And it was released to... It cost ended up costing somewhere between around seventy million dollars to produce. Mm. Made one hundred eighteen point six at the box office, which, given Hollywood accounting, it's not great. Oof. Not. I mean, it's you know fine. Mm. Uh, it placed third highest in its opening weekend. Uh, behind the natural number one, which was, of course, Beverly Hills Chihuahua that weekend. <laughs> oh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. And also some uh, horror movie called Quarantine. Um, uh, uh, ooh, Quarantine. I think so... that's like based on that uh, like that Spanish Oh, it was based film. on Wreck? Yes, I think, I think yeah. so. You know, you know it's yeah. really fucking good? Wreck. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> the movie's kind of middling. Quarantine. Quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, they shouldn't have done that. It fared better than most of the War on Terrorism movies, but still below expectations in general. Uh, only $39 million total in the U.S. and Canada, but then... Um, outside of North America did reasonably well. And usually that's because of um, certainly the presence of Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Russell Crowe mm-hmm. of that cause. Uh, yeah, it did, um, did better, but still these are not um, these, the, regardless of the intention, the good intentions, mm-hmm and all that sort of thing no one really wanted to see these movies when they came out and not many of them outside of the people who were there and kind of paying attention to these movies (laughs) none of these movies have shelf life nobody's watching these movies no um i would imagine even hurt locker does not get a ton of repeat viewers at this point even though it should it's a very good movie um body flies has a 55 percent on rotten tomatoes Oof. Body of Lies relies too heavily on the performances of DiCaprio and Crow to lift it above a conventional espionage thriller. Sure. Uh, Ebert gave it three stars out of four. All right. He praised the convincing acting in realistic locations and terse dialogue, but questioned the verisimil- verisimilitude of the story and concluded, Body of Lies contains enough you can believe, or almost believe, that you wish it wor- wish so much it weren't sensationally implausible. No, I disagree. I don't actually think it's necessarily implausible. I just think it's kind of half-assed. Yeah, it's a little... (laughs) Uh, Like, but I think Ebert probably had... He's not as pilled as we are for reading books about, like, MKUltra and stuff like that. That, um... No. (laughs) Convince you that this kind of global adventurism from the United States government is not that, in particular the CIA, is not yeah. that far-fetched. 
Slight. And that it would be uh, pulled off by the most banal uh, schlubs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Kenneth reached the same conclusion in the Los Angeles Times. Skill of top flight director Ridley Scott and his veteran production team, not to mention the ability of stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe, is sure that this story of spies and terrorism in the Middle East is always crisp and watchable. But as the film's episodic story gradually reveals itself, it ends up too unconvincing and conventional to consi- consistently hold our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou Lumenick of the New York Post simply said, there's nothing here we haven't seen in many other movies. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Uh you know, in general, um, here's A.O. Scott. Scott's professionalism is, as ever, present in every frame and scene. But this time it seems singularly untethered from anything like zeal, conviction, or even curiosity. That. We're, on we're, the- we're applauding A.O. Scott because he's correct. Yeah. He, uh, and he nailed it. Yeah. You could cross Man. that over almost to American Gangster as well. Ooh, ooh, damn it. You want to be hard. If you want to be hard. The word zeal comes to mind. And the word, and the sentence lack of curiosity comes to mind. It doesn't, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of it. I mean, yeah, that's all she wrote. That's just, yeah, that's, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just not. There's no, yeah, there's no, just, yeah. Not a lot of juice. Not a lot of juice, yeah. Dry, dry, dry chicken, brother. Dry chicken. Which, I mean, going into next week, has me both concerned and curious about our next film. Which is, of course, of course, (laughs) 2010's Robin Hood. The fourth collaboration in a row with leading man Russell Crowe and their last to this date. I haven't had a chance to do my research yet, but from what I if I remember from 2010, the this was a fairly fraught production between the two oh, men. Oh no. Oh no. Um but we shall see. Um on the surface and by the trailer I watched today, we are definitely in the gladiator kingdom of heaven zone. Good. I like that. It, which yeah, like I said interesting but at the same time it's like another robin hood like, like yeah like how is that exciting at all yeah i don't need i don't need like a, a faux serious robin hood i don't need like a yeah like an all for grim super serious robin hood although i saw mark strong and oscar isaac are in it i've also if i remember correctly our boy uh who we haven't covered much on the pod i feel like we i don't know if we've even done a movie featuring him yet ben mendelson Oh, he's in that one too. I know. He's uh, in it too. Oh, you know what Ben Mendelsohn is in? I hate to tell you, he's in the Jamie Fox Rocket Man one. Oh. I don't know if he's in both, <laughs> but he's like the main villain in the Jamie Fox one. Oh, that's interesting. He's I in, just he I is... know that from the trailer that I watched earlier today. Oh, he is okay. Let me double check. I'm he's gonna double in check. It, and then um, William Hurt is in it, which is interesting as well. Ooh, I mean, I remember like. Uh... Okay, so the guy from Sons of Anarchy, didn't he release a fucking, uh, not not Ron Perlman, Charlie Hunnam? Didn't he also have a Robin Hood too? Or am I just oh, making... so he's in King Arthur? That's King the, Arthur. He's in the guy that's Richie King it. Arthur. But okay, he, I... that one was just as unmemorable as um hmm. the Taron Egerton, uh, Robin Hood. I mean, again, like because they they make them look like video games. 
Uh, he's not in Robin Hood. I'm wrong. You have to shoot these movies as grounded as possible. Yeah. I think. These historical ones, which mm-hmm. Ridley totally understands. Ridley's yeah. like, I'm going, but babe, I'm going to Morocco. Like, oh, for sure. You're going to Morocco. We're going to we're going to deepest Nottingham. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so next week we're gonna check that out. Um that can be rented through all of the services. It's on Blu-ray. I noticed Patrick there's the damn unrated director's cuts on Robin Hood 2. No, I don't know. I don't I, know, man. I, I can't, know. I can't. I've already I already watched like watching Body of Lies and Body of Lies with the commentary. It's done a number on my brain. Make, I don't know if I can make, go this far make, again. Make a decision, Ridley. Let's finish yeah. the damn movie. Like, yeah. Oh, God. I just have to I have to double check and make sure I was clear that yeah, unfortunately Ben Mendelssohn isn't in Robin no, Hood 2010. But but the the guy who voices the son of American Dad's son, the son of American Dad and American Dad is in it. That's Scott Grimes. He's in it. That's there you go. That's the really um, Scott touch there. That's really Scott touch. I love the American Dad. <laughs> that's like that. uh, like how I, the story that like uh, Terrence Malick is like a big Zoolander fan and like like. All these like serious guys just like love this stupid shit. Oh yeah, or like how David Lynch like he like had a guest role on the Cleveland show and ended up yeah. becoming like a recurring character on that. Well, my favorite all time story was um apparently Christopher Nolan loves McGruber. Oh, and he loves so- the Lonely Island guys completely. And they cornered him at some party, it's for the DJA. And they wanted to like one of their movies. They go, we really want the first credit in this movie to say written and directed by Christopher Nolan as a joke. <laughs> and he go, he gets this big smile on his face. He goes, let me ask my wife if that's okay. <laughs> God bless him. Uh, he's, he's a king. He's yeah. a king. So Robin Hood next week. Has anybody seen it? Who knows? I, I, I maybe it doesn't exist. Yeah, I don't know. I it look it looks kind of cool. Like I don't know. We'll see. I, it's long. I, I, I want it to be good. I want it to be good too. I want to be a secret gem. I want to feel better. Like yeah, this week we came in a little not knives out, but you know, ready to be a little critical. It's like I think it's like these are two tough movies to watch. Like, it's they're big films, and it's tough when they're both kind of a little rough. Yeah. And speaking of which, no, never mind. But the week after Robin Hood, Patrick and I are in for it. Oh no! Yeah, here we go. Um, and maybe <laughs> it's maybe it's to be time. Maybe it'll be just the time-consuming elements to <laughs> us being in for it, but. Week after that, our celebrated subseries of Visionary Alliance, the Jerry Bruckheimer Don Simpson story, returns for its sixth edition. And this week, it is a triple feature, another triple feature. But the breezy days of Coyote Ugly are behind us because we are starting oh. things out with 2001's. Pearl Harbor, which is over uh, three over three hours long. Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, indeed. No. Who knows if we have to split this episode up? Two thousand three, seminal 
Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and 2004's Cage Classic, National Treasure. Oh my goodness. This is so much. This is a lot of popcorn, buddy. This is a this lot is of candy. A lot of sodas, a lot of candy is gonna soda have to be cinema down. too. This is this is yeah, this is the peak soda cinema right here. Uh, oh, I cannot God. believe the first Pirates of the Caribbean is 20 years old. That is oh, I just <laughs> I'm like that that gif from Saving Private Ryan where yeah. Ryan just ages in front of you. That just happened dip, to me when and, you said uh, that. And you're like you're gonna ask me if you earned it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an old man now. This I'm sucks. an old man now. It sucks. And all my <laughs> friends died in that story I just told. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Remember Caparzo? He was cool. Yeah. Tom Hanks was like seemed like a really neat, good leader. He died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy who collected sand, he was kind of weird, but he was cool. Edward Burns lived, but he was kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he lived. Whatever happened to Jer- Jer- Jeremy Davies let Adam Goldberg die. Like, yeah, that wasn't cool. Unforgivable. Adam Think, Goldberg, real stinker like, moment. Luckily, Adam Goldberg lived to build a time machine for Deja Vu. <laughs> yeah, and then he would uh, end up uh, becoming the Hebrew Hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is gonna be that's gonna be a uh, quite an episode. I'm pumped. Um, yeah. I, so my history with these ones, I've seen Pearl Harbor once, hated it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. (laughs) 2001, hated it. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see. I liked Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, So we'll see. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe it's a forgotten classic. We'll find out. Yeah, maybe it's better than you thought. Um, I I liked. I was like, I thought Pirates of the Caribbean was going to be so stupid, and I ended up getting it. We rented it when it came out on DVD at the college house I lived in on a, like a snow day out of like a mm. red box and loved it. We all loved yeah. it. It was, it's a, uh, yeah. it was fun when it came out. It's a truly like I think like God, like that uh, giant Depp performance. I feel like it's it was very novel at the moment, but it's kind of like Borat where like, yeah, it was so cool for like 20 seconds and then immediately it became grating so who knows yeah so we'll see play we'll see yeah although like gore verbinski great director like he really really good director um and then i've never seen national treasure it's like it's for kids it's like it's (laughs) just that's fine like you know kids will have fun it's absolutely it's absolutely the one i'm looking forward to the most out of these three though (laughs) I, you know, it has, you know, never, never, uh, never, you know, uh, I don't, you turn, can't, I, can't doubt Cage. That's what I'm saying. Never turn yeah. an eye away from the Cage man because he'll shock and wow. And like, it's an insane premise. There's a lot like, I think the insanity of like, like Indiana Jones-esque mysteries surrounding old American artifacts. Like that's, that is wild. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, all these are available to rent. Buy on physical and Pirates of the Caribbean and National Treasure are currently on Disney Plus. I'm frankly kind of surprised Pearl Harbor is also not on Disney Plus. This seems like a Disney trilogy, if there ever was one to me. It's true. Um, Might be too scary, though. Might be too too scary for those kids. Too scary for the kids. Yeah, where's Grogu? They're all screaming. Ben Affleck has another like love scene with, but this time Kate Beckinsale and like a box of cookies or something like that, like the one the insane one from Armageddon. Oh no! <laughs> don't do that. Um, if you are Jay Z, 
Mm. And you think our assessment of your career was entirely off. Mm. Or if you're just a Jay-Z fan and you thought so, or more perhaps more importantly, if you really think we're wrong on American Gangster and Body Lies, and most important of all, if you have access to that book that we brought up earlier that we want to know, that hypothetical book we want to know about, Ooh. Uh, check in with us. The Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. This has been a good ep. You know, Ooh, rid- and, you know, we got into it. Ridley is not stopping <laughs> anytime soon. Like, no. This man, this man is going to die on the battlefield. <laughs> this is very, very clear. He's a robot. He's, he's a Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's imp- it's impressive. He's clearly like, I don't know, like I was gonna say running with the devil, but I'm thinking about little Nicky or something. <laughs> He's eating Popeyes with the but, devil. You know, this is like we're like we still have many really pictures to go, which is kind of wild. And I'm I'm excited to see. I really want to know where this all ends, like mm-hmm. where we end with his filmography like what decisions we make on kind of what we've seen after watching like 30 movies of his or something like that uh, yeah where where he fits in like the canon you know yeah if he fits in the canon yeah it is fascinating and it's like in you know it's gonna end with the napoleon you know that's gonna be the mm-hmm. big like like it is like is that like is that like the be all like does everything culminate to that film? I don't know. Who knows? Well, he seems like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, he's he's an unstoppable force, but he does turn. What? 87 this year, something <sighs> like that. Older than uh, Biden. No, he's, he's 86 in November. Yeah, he's six years older than Joe Biden. That's insane. And <laughs> he seems unstoppable there's been a ton of recent news this gladiator 2 is the next movie it's going to star paul mescal and denzel washington i just saw that the supporting cast the connie nielsen's and so forth are coming back for it um oh my goodness the kid from stranger things the 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 metallica fan from stranger things is going to be in it Oh my god. Um, but it does feel like with Napoleon and Gladiator 2 the only thing that he could do after Gladiator 2 that would make sense to me would be to finish the Prometheus Covenant Alien Trilogy. And that would kind of finish the job. I don't know what he does after that. Yeah, that, then he gets to like float away. He yeah, gets, he he gets float he's away. free. He, he's float like, I'm like, free. Matt, like Matt Damon in the Martian or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he gets to live in space and, you know, eat potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. But this is it's really interesting because I think what we've learned, like some of these guys like Tony and to a lesser extent Finch. And when we get to more Fuqua, we'll see. But their personalities are there and really remains even after all these movies to me, a bit of a, um, enigma. Yeah. He's, he's becomes increasingly harder to decipher the more we cover because, um, yeah, you know, it's like, 
we don't see it feels like you rarely get to see the real ridley you really you get there yeah. like the yeah maybe that comes back with the counselor maybe that comes back with robin hood i don't i don't know uh, yeah or prometheus even Ooh, yeah. yeah so Prometheus. we we shall see but this was a fun one uh hope you all enjoyed it so for patrick i'm don we will see you next week on the academy academy and i just gotta tell you patrick my man. <laughs> My man. <laughs> I'm going to now uh, make some popcorn from a uh, microwave that's at crotch level for some reason. How does it work? How does it work? Do you want one? <laughs> <laughs>